Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. On the eve of the Australian Open 2023, I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by NCR's Spain and Sub-Saharan Africa correspondent, Tumana Carriol, just back from Sub-Saharan Africa. How is it checking in on, on your beat? It was great. I, I feel like I've, I've gained a lot more expertise and uh, it will be invaluable over the, over this podcast and the next year. <laughs> thanks, thanks, well, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be back. I was in Gambia, so... I was going to ask, did you see any tennis in Gambia, perchance? Is there any sign of it? I played, I played some tennis. They have one... They, so they have one tennis club in Gambia and then another tennis court in, like, a, I think, a hotel or something. That's, that's you know, people... It, it doesn't exist. It barely exists in, in Gambia. But so, so, yeah, I played with a, a tennis coach there. And, yeah, he, he was, like, yeah, no, no, one, no one knows this sport here. You know, <laughs> people, you know... The people I met and spoke to barely, you know, even barely knew people like, you know, they, they vaguely knew of like Nadal or Fed. Well, the guy, did, actually, one, one of my friends didn't even know Federer. So, yeah, that, that's that's the state of tennis in, in Gambia. But ho- hopefully it will change. Well, once they get to watch Netflix's Breakpoint, they'll be all over it. So um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually, actually going to make like a lot of the people I met there just make them watch it and just to see what they think. So, yeah. yeah, so that was the that was the previous episode we did. Let's cover this briefly. Recording this on the thirteenth of January, which is the day that Breakpoint dropped to the wider public. We did a whole review episode with Rima Bulel about it in our last episode. If you haven't seen that yet or heard that yet, uh, but now maybe if you want to, if you're waiting until after the show comes out and didn't want spoilers, reasonable, and want to go back and listen to it, it's, it's there now after you watch whenever you want it. Uh, but Tamani, you're in Melbourne at the Australian Open, and I'm curious what the kind of buzz is around the show there. Like how much has this been a topic of conversation and how are people reacting to it, both in other terms of other media and maybe other people in the sport who you've, you've spoken to about it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously been a big topic, topic among the media. Um, you know, we, I've discussed it with a lot of other colleagues and I mean, I, I think it, it was interesting. That rarely happens, but it seems like that there has actually been kind of a consensus, consensus and an agreement and, you know, I think most people, most journalists seem to have kind of a similar views about the um, the doc- docu-series, you know. I mean, for, for me, just that it, it it was very good at showing why tennis is so difficult and, and the, the, the kind of struggle struggles that players go through, which is actually, I think, valuable because people don't, I think a lot of people don't really see that or understand that and think it's quite an, an easy, you know, easy sport for you know rich upper class people you know pampered players whereas it's difficult but but obviously at least for me just it does it doesn't really into you know after one of the craziest seasons that since only since i've been covering the sport it doesn't at least the first half didn't really interact with the wider world beyond the players We, we saw their kind of their tiny worlds and and their worlds are particularly tiny in, in tennis where they're only focusing on themselves and one match at a time and all of that stuff. Well, it didn't really kind of show the broad tennis world, which I think that that's the most, that's the appealing part about tennis, right? Um, and just, I'd say, like, I haven't, you know, to actually today, the day we're speaking on Saturday is a media day, so it'd be interesting to, to hear uh, from, from some players. A couple of players I spoke to, um, some, some just weren't really that interested, you know. Like Harriet Dart, the Brit was. She was like, "Oh, I probably won't watch it. <laughs> I, I, I okay. watch enough tennis. I, I'm not really interested." Um, whereas you had like Holger Rune 
Una showing up at the, um, they, they had uh, like a kind of red carpet, like cocktail party for Netflix where all, all the players showed up and then you had like Ogarun showing up on, on the red carpet, even though he's not in it. So yeah, it will be interesting to see like who is interested, who is not, if it, you know, at the moment it's it's unclear whether there'll be an, another season that, that as, as um, they're not record, they're not, you know, they're not filming anything right now, you know, they're not following any new players around in, in the Australian Open, but it'll be interesting to see if if that it appeals to other players and if if there's another season, if it appeals to other players, if it bring if more people are put onto it. So yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And that was one of my main questions. Like and maybe this will show up later. I don't know. Maybe have you heard officially they're not gonna be doing any filming at the Australian Open for a season um, two? Well not officially, but I've, I've I've heard it and and yeah. I've been told that and it's it's certainly not there's that you know if the the, the presence of, of Netflix cameras was, was very evident during yeah. um, last season. <laughs> so, and, and they're not, they're not around right, right now. So we'll, we'll see though. We'll see. Yeah. So it's going out to the wider public. I've been, you know, encouraged other people. I'm curious to hear from listeners and also from even just secondhand, like what if listeners are, who are listening to the show, probably big tennis fans, or at least interested in tennis on some sort of vaguely granular level, if you're listening to a draw show, uh, if they talk about it with their non-friends, non-tennis fan friends and family, you know, who watch it, what do they think? Because I think it really is about trying to convert people to it. And that's something Reem and I said on the show, and I think you're sort of hinting at, too, in terms of the reaction of tennis journalists. Like, we're way too close to it. It's not for us because there's yeah. very, very little that's new or interesting to us in the show, which is, I think, a, le- a failure of the show on some level, honestly, even if it is not aimed at us. There wasn't something, there weren't more surprises in it. Uh, even just more, 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 more candid moments that we wouldn't be yeah just like yeah just more sort of more interesting moments and that's the other thing that's interesting about the show in terms of how they made it and that I didn't really expect is like they filmed so much like so like for example and I will we'll get to the draw soon but like like Taylor Fritz for example they only show him during Indian Wells but they were filming him all through Australia all through whatever other tournaments he was at that, the, that they were at including Miami which there's no Miami episode at all like, and so for me, I just think it's, I find it tough. I would find it tough as a viewer, I think, the very episodic nature of it, of, as a show, how it's structured, where you're starting from scratch every single episode. And granted, we're only getting half a season, so maybe it's incomplete. And we know that some of these characters, like Kyrgios, like Jabir, for sure will come back and feature yeah. in second half episodes. Yeah, probably, but yeah, uh, yeah but it's going to be, but I just, it, for me, it, and, and Tomjanovic actually is going to have a big payoff. She's going to have a whole Serena episode, I assume, of being Serena's last match. So, you know, we'll see how it goes and how how it, how it lands. But just know that so much is staked on this for for the tours, and they really are hoping this is a big thing. You just if you follow like any tournament social media account, they're all tweeting about this show. Like I got you know posts from like or emails from the Houston tournament about this. Like certainly very much not in the show, but everyone it's a very all hands on deck kind of thing, and everyone in the sports business side is very much rooting for this to succeed and to grow the sport. So we'll see how it goes. There's a couple other things that we'll get to during the course of this show of about the draws. Do you want to start with the women or the men, Tumani? Mm, women? I don't know. Sure. Good pick. Good pick. Women. All right. It's the draw that's open on my page right now. So that's that's a perfect it. reason. Uh, let's start at the top of the draw with top seed Iga Sviantek, which leads us actually right to one of the other things I want to talk about uh, in this episode as we sort of wrap up what little bit has happened in the 2023 season here, which is United Cup. Iga Sviantek was the top player in the United Cup, obviously, is number one. She played for the Polish team, which made the semifinals and lost to the U.S. She took a pretty hard 
uh, semifinal loss, 6-2-6-2, to Jesse Pagula. Uh, First time losing to Pagula in a while, having beaten her many times last year, and most lopsided loss that Shiontek has taken in quite a long time on tour. Uh, Certainly since, you know, maybe last year's Australian Open, actually, when she lost to to Collins pretty badly in that semifinal. That wasn't even as lopsided as this by score, but it felt pretty blowouty at times, that Collins match. So what what did you make of, of United Cup? I know you were there. For parts of it, and what did you make of of how Shantek specifically uh, started off the season? With United Cup, I, I do like re- really like the the concept of mixed, you know, mixed gender event. I think it's new look for the sport, and and I to be honest, I really enjoy mixed doubles when it's played by top players. And you, I don't know, it's it's the one, you know, tennis is the one sport where you can like see, for example, like Maria Sakari <laughs> just like destroy. Um, Borna Gohoz on, on his on his backhand win, you know, yeah. when when um Greece were playing Croatia and Sakari was winning all like a lot that the all of the big points on on the on the ad side, Sakari was winning yeah. on the on the backhand. You know that, that's fun. You don't get that in like a really physical sport normally. But but with the United Cup, I think the the problem is that it could, you know in order to to give it prize money and and well points really. Um, they they well the, the tours decided that it needed to include you know a large amount of players and so they had basically two teams of four four men and four women you know up to four men and four women on the team so you know the teams were it was quite bloated you know yeah. it was the two day ties were you know I don't know it was just it felt long and just a lot and I think that that's where it failed I also think I think the the biggest asset of the the event is mixed doubles um and the fact that the mixed doubles was the f- fifth rubber meant that a lot of the times it, it either wasn't played or you know the the top players who were going to play subbed out for you know for for the lower rank players because it wasn't you know important it wasn't relevant um so yeah it was i, I think in an ideal world that the the best it would be like hotman cup i, I think that format of yeah. just uh, top top male top female singles player, you know, and then playing doubles together, that, that worked. And, and, and if there, if there was, you know, prize money and more incentive for more top players to play, play an event like that, it would be even better. But, but at the same time, like, I understand why you can't just have this exclusive event where even just the, the prize money as it is, even like the lower ranked players, players who didn't win a match or, or whatever, were earning, earning more than, than the ATP 250 winners in the, yeah. the same week all, all of the top of the first week all of the top earners were in, in the united cup and yeah it, it was a funny like disconnect so, so what do you yeah. think i i agree with you generally like i think that it was really started just too big and i think there were a bunch of things about it that just i think five matches over two days is too much for a tie basically i think the old this was clearly meant as the successor to hotman cup right and first they tried to replace hotman cup with atp cup and people were not really having it on a on a sort of fan scale and engagement scale because it was a knockoff or the, basically the same concept as Davis Cup and Davis Cup, which we can talk about also. Cosmos just pulling out of the agreement they had signed with with the ITF or defaulting on that agreement, really uh, unable to keep their part, end of the business deal. Uh, but anyway, ATP Cup was seen as too similar to that, too close in the calendar, and didn't really have an identity or reason to exist on some really basic level, I think. And then... United Cup comes in and takes a lot of parts from ATP Cup in terms of being big. But to me, really, like, if you go back, 
first of all, I think the week one in Australia as it existed in, in the, in, sorry, in the season as it existed in 2019 was fine. I don't think it needed to be overhauled as radically as it's been overhauled. Like I think generally the Brisbane tournament, which I went to a lot, was was great. Uh, you had yeah. Hopman Cup, which was a little bit more exhibition-y, but still had some good matches for sure and had the sort of mixed element. You had Auckland, you had Doha, like it spanned a lot of time. So you had Chennai or now Pune, I forget exactly when they switched the location of that tournament. I think it worked. It seemed like Tennis Australia overhauled everything to try to get Sydney to have some sort of bigger event because Sydney was being overlooked in that week right before the Australian Open, a lot of pullouts. It wasn't the prestigious event it maybe used to be back decades ago when players did play full tournaments at full tilt the week before Grand Slams. And that's just Grand Slams now have such huge orbits that no longer can really exist that way. So I think they really broke something. Or sorry, they fixed something that wasn't broken and made it into this strange contraption they have now. I then also think you could go and basically have United Cup, which I think is great. And I loved watching. I loved the mixed teams. Like seeing just like the little things that the moments that it brings, you know, where like Iga Svantec run like wins a match and runs over and, you know, high fives or shakes hands with Stan Wawrinka, who's the opposite team's captain, you know, and then goes to hug Aga Radvanska. Like, that's just like tennis fan catnip, seeing those sorts of interactions happen or seeing Tiafa and Radvanska post about each other and their admiration for one another. Like, that's really cool. And that's sort of, that's such a unique value proposition to use a really, you know, gross, you know, consulting term of like what tennis brings. It's this mixed gender thing. And this highlighted a lot of that. But it was just way too big. And so many of these teams that were qualified for it or entered in it just did not have what it took to be showcasing four singles matches. Like, bless them. But what is Norway doing at this level when it's a tournament about having four singles players? Norway has exactly one singles player who is a tour mm-hmm. level, and that's Casper Rude. And then so you're filling the stadiums with these matches showcasing these Norwegian players who are really just frankly not up to the grade of being in that kind of level of, of play and scrutiny. And it's bad to the fans to be selling tickets for that kind of show. I yeah. think, and it really dilutes the product very meaningfully. And I think a lot of fans I was hearing from in Brisbane, especially really were not happy with what's happened to the tennis in their city, going back to what it was in 2019, especially in 2020, they had both the WTA and ATP cup there. Uh, yeah. But now like, it's just sort of, you get some group matches and, and that's it. So what I would mm-hmm. recommend is personally, just like go back to a Hotman cup size, eight teams, two players each, Add, keep ranking points, maybe a bunch of money, and have it be you qualify by ranking instead of having it be invitational, the way that Hotman Cup used to be, uh, and have it all in one city. Keep it all in Perth again. Why not? Like it just felt like so diluted in so many ways. And yes, there were some highlights of it, but not a lot of the there weren't as many crucial mixed matches. Also, as kind of promised that kind of event, there weren't a lot of like decisive stars versus stars in mixed matches to decide who won ties. Uh, so. I, yeah, I just think it needs yeah. to be edited, but I think it had potential. There were a lot of moments where I, I, they had, they kind of captured the magic of it, its potential, yeah. just not enough over the course of it. Yeah, you, you meant I did want to mention one thing that I just I'd liked. You mentioned TFO, and um, d- during the event, I guess a reporter asked, oh, it was Dan Evans who, who said, "Oh, I, I don't normally watch women's tennis," and so it was, uh, it was very different. It gave me a new appreciation to mm-hmm. for women's tennis, which. I mean, <laughs> an interesting statement. But then a, a reporter kind of put that to to the American team, where like, you know, TFO and Pagula were like really. <laughs> it's a it's a funny like odd, odd pairing if you think about it. But they were like really tight. They were training together the whole time and playing mixed doubles, obviously. Mm-hmm. And and they asked they asked TFO like, has Evan said this? Has it given you 
like a you know a new respect for women players and he would you know you know how tfo is always like joking and you know <laughs> goofy and whatever but that was like the one time he was like deadly serious like no i i've i know these girls i've, I've played with them i always hit with them i know them i know that i know how good they are i know the level and and I, and he was just like adamant and i, I was I just in, so I just interviewed Pagulas for a, a piece, and and we were kind of we like talked about that, and he was she was like oh he he came off out of the interview and he was just like I can't believe they asked me that like why would they ask me you know it pissed That's me great. off I enjoyed that interaction and that kind of thing you you like to see you love to see it no absolutely and Tiafo I mean for his own biography like Tiafo you know trained out of JTCC I know when he was a teenager like fifteen sixteen. Allison Risk was based out of there, and so he was hitting with Risk actually fairly regularly, uh, yeah. or at least some in, in Maryland when she was based out of there. And you know he's like got great things to say about obviously the Williams sisters who he looked up to, and he's talked about how important they were and transformational they were for for black tennis and how synonymous they are with tennis in, in those communities that he's grown up in, and how people talk about him and talk about the Williamses. And you know he's he's big, he big ups players like Robin Montgomery who came out of the same academy, who's you know com- an upcoming player, uh, junior champion. Yeah, like Taffa is all yeah. over the women's tennis for sure in the best ways. And so it's nice to hear him, him say that. Yeah. And it's also just like, but at the same time, so that's all positive. I don't want to spin that into a negative immediately. But it was funny, which is how diluted it was. <laughs> if you look at the matches, which Rafael Nadal had to watch at this tournament, based <laughs> on who the ties he was in. And I'm not, this is going to come off shader than I need it to. But like, Rafa, so Rafa's on the bench basically for all the Spain matches. And just because of the way the group shook out, there was some obscure stuff that happened. So he watched Swan versus Paritzis Diaz, Bedosa versus Dart, Evans Ramos Vignolas, okay. A mixed doubles match between Jessica Buzos Monero and David Vega Hernandez versus Dart and o- Omara. And then he watched Paritzis Diaz versus Inglis, Buzos Monero versus Gadecki in singles, Ramos Vignolas versus Jason Kubler, and then Buzos Monero and David Vega Hernandez versus Stoser and Piers. Like, it's it's uh, the drop yeah. off like you get rafa in some of those tickets but it's just like it's, it's it was a weird thing like and no disrespect yeah. to those people but like it's just some obscure stuff mixed with some some not ready for prime yeah. time kind of stuff is what i would say going back to the point about you know fans talking to you about their frustration with the event like it, it does a massive disservice to them because you know in in a regulatory event they can choose what they want to yeah. see you know there are tons of players around you can go and watch x player you can go and watch other player practice whereas here they met, you know, those are the only only matches on offer. You have to watch it, and, and let's be honest, not everyone wants to be watching those matches. And yeah, and yeah, and, and if this is like, if they're trying to make it into, because I, I, it generally seems that they want to make it into a big event, in like a, a, I mean, clearly a big, lucrative, but like important event that has some sort some meaning, but it just doesn't work when, you know, some of those matches are just not what people would willingly watch. And the other the other thing is about it too, which was Rafa's complaint, is that because of the way it was structured with these three team groups, there were so many dead rubbers. Like those were not only obscure matches; they were matches that didn't have yeah. stakes to the overall competition. Because yeah, I mean, in that group, Britain clinched very quickly. Yeah, so, so there was a whole dead tie. And, and, yeah, which isn't great. Which you can have that, but it shouldn't take two days. Like yeah. you know, like sometimes that'll happen in a round robin. You'll have a game where both teams are out, but like it shouldn't happen that much. But I do, I do, I didn't totally agree with his critique to get way too deep on this, where he said they should make it more dynamic with who plays what day. One of the advantages of this format, which ATP Cup did really well actually, because they had four team groups, is having uh, so fans can know in advance who's playing what day. Because like the Rafa days yeah. were selling out, 
another day's horrid. Uh, anyway, so that's that's enough on that. An ATP Cup. Let's transition back to Iga Swiatek in the women's draw. Uh, Swiatek opens after after uh, some of her ATP Cup. That's what I wanted to say. She plays. She gets kind of schlacked by by Pagula. She wasn't great in her other matches at ATP Cup. On or sorry, United Cup. I always call it ATP Cup at United Cup. Uh, losing or not losing, but not being very impressive in her match against the top Italian player whose name is Martina Trevisan and yeah, Trevisan. And then, sorry, I was just drawing a blank there and just, yeah, just not being totally at her most, uh, most imperious, let's say. So where do you think Iga sits? And I guess, what are you hearing also about the conditions in Melbourne? Because that was one of the things in, in Sydney where she got her doors blown off by Pagula because it was playing so fast and slick and low. It was like yeah. perfect Pagula conditions and not really right for, for Iga at yeah. all. How's it playing in Melbourne for what you know? That, that was actually another issue with United Cup that, while, while the, the U.S. team were in Sydney the whole time, Poland, you know, qualified for the, the knockout, yeah. you know, the, the final rounds. They had to fly to Sydney and completely adjust. And those courts were, yeah, as you said, extremely fast and quick, and she couldn't. The, I think the, the Melbourne courts are not they're, – they're, I think they're playing fairly quickly, but not – as has been the case in, in recent years, but not not as quick as, as Sydney. Like, those were like – those courts were really fast. And yeah, and, and with regards to Chiantek, I I think she cl- clearly still starts the tournament as a heavy, heavy, heavy favorite. Given all that she achieved last year, it's gonna it will be like a very interesting challenge and, and year for her. Though you know, just following as we know in tennis, it's one thing to achieve certain things, but following up whether it's a breakthrough, whether it's even just like a slam semifinal, or or where you have like one of the most dominant seasons, you know, over the past like decade and more now she has to follow that up so it's a kind of whole, whole different pressure and re- regardless of, of that heavy loss and obviously I think it was striking for people to see her sitting on the chair and crying but as I kind of noted like to, to a few people last year we didn't see her losing much and certainly not important matches you know major matches the second half of the season so she cries a lot. <laughs> so it, it she does cry a lot. And the other thing is also, as you'll see, and when you watch Breakpoint, if you haven't yet, folks, like tennis players cry a lot too. Yeah. The, the thing that made that unusual is that she did it out in court in front of the crowd after the match had ended. Usually yeah. players who are going to cry walk off court briskly and then go cry in a hallway or in the locker room. Like that's the normal. That's what made it different. And so seeing her there for an extended time, and she was on court yeah. for a long time after that loss, actually, yeah. Uh, yeah, just yeah. sitting out there. So yeah. Uh, that was a bit different, but yeah, I think I think going into this after what happened last year, I think you kind of have to have a bit of a Sviantec versus the field lens for any tournament, at least as we're getting yeah. off off the bat here. And I do think this is a tough draw for her, actually. Like I, she starts off with Yula Niemeyer, who is the German player who made the quarterfinals of Wimbledon last year. Didn't get any ranking points for it, but then also had a pretty decent run at the U.S. Open. So well, she she played Sviantec at U.S. Open. Yes, right? it's a, tough, it's a tough tight match. Yeah, tough match. Yeah, and so then so that's a big hitter if it's playing quicker and Sviantek's not at her most comfortable. Niemeyer might have some more confidence in the average player going to match against Sviantek. Uh, then Sviantek could play easier second round against Osorio or Pana Udvardi. And then uh, Buxa, uh, Eva Luce, Bianca Andrescu potentially, or Marie Buzkova. Andrescu obviously is always sort of a wild card. We're waiting for her to get back to her, her form that we know she can have. Her upside, we know what it is. Uh, hasn't shown that yet, really, since during this comeback consistently. But that'd be a great. I would love to see that match. I and mean, that's the kind of exactly the kind of rivalry people are thirsting for. So I hope we get 
the Svantec Andrescu match. That would be phenomenal. Boskova yeah. obviously played well at Wimbledon and such last year, but uh, and it's the seed at 25. But Andrescu, I think, is the one to watch there. And then a couple of potential big, tricky hitters and an otherwise relatively open other part of this Svantec eighth of the draw. Last year's runner-up, Danielle Collins, is here at number 13. She opens against Kalinskaya. Mukova, who's playing this at a protected ranking, made the semifinals two years ago. Carolina Mukova and is now back, and she's been back off and on in the last year. And then uh, uh, Wimbledon champion Elena Rybakina, who I saw a tweet today that after Rybakina won Wimbledon on center court, obviously her next two matches at slams have been on U.S. Open court like 12 or 13 and like Australian Open court 12. Like she's just like the incredibly forgotten Wimbledon champion already in certain ways. Uh, but she, I think she played, I think she beat Shantek, not that I read too much into it, like an EXO in Middle East in December, Maybe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and Collins and Collins, as we mentioned briefly earlier, handled Svantec really easily uh, in the semifinals of this tournament last year. Yeah, so, yeah. do you see her getting through this first uh, four rounds, Dimani? Um, Iga again. I think she's the favorite, and it, but certainly Collins can take as she did. Like, I mean, at the Australian Open last year, Collins took the racket out of her hand, and in a similar but even more kind of dramatic way. As Pegula did this in, in at the United Cup, just destroyed her serve, just utterly just destroyed her serve. Um, just the returning was just, yeah, just chef's kiss. Certainly, I think Collins has the ability. It's the type of player, a big hitter, you know, can rush her, can rush them. Shurantek can rush her for him. That's the, I think that's the type of player that Shurantek doesn't like playing against. Obviously, people always mention like Ostapenko as well, and certainly Rebecca can. Is capable of doing the same, right? It's is capable of big ball striking and and, and rushing her. Um, I yeah. think, given like recent form, I'd, I'd take um, Shuantek, but you know, as we know, it just takes an inspired performance on on the day to for there yeah. to be problems. But I I think both either Rabakina or Collins is a fourth round agreed. to circle and to get popcorn for. And this even playing each other actually, they already play each other in the first match of the year or their first match of the year in Adelaide, which Rabakina beat Collins in that match there. So Collins has had some tough draws early on this season already playing those loaded Adelaide tournaments. Adelaide, talk about the, the calendar. Adelaide was the big winner. I think if you're a local fan, there's so many top players, men and women in Adelaide, which is a really tiny kind of weird venue, honestly. And yeah. uh, strange if you've ever been there, it's like a weird layout to it. I'm not sure how it won this lottery. And it also, I do sense that Craig Talley's played in these cities against each other in ways that might not be totally savory. Anyway, uh, let's move on to this next section of the draw, anchored by the number seven seed, Coco Goff. Coco Goff opens against Katarina Siniakova. Could get Emma Raducanu if she's healthy. She's still in the draw. Uh, Tamani, but I know there's lots of concern over Radu Kanu and her ankle. Do you have any updates on, on her? I think she's going to play. She, she seemed like uh, I saw bits of her practices the last few days and, and she seemed to be moving okay. Obviously, we don't know, you know, in match conditions when, you know, obviously it's physical, there's tension and blah, blah, blah. It can, yeah. you know, injuries and, you know, come back and, you know, she could struggle. I don't know, but she seemed to be moving fine. And, you know, there, there, was, <laughs> there was one, there was footage of like one of her first practices and it looked terrible. She was barely like even yeah. standing on, 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 you know, like she couldn't even serve or, you know, she was barely standing on her, on the injured ankle. But I think she's, she's looked okay. She, she's been training like regularly since then. So I'd expect her to play. And again, like that, as with Andrescu versus um, Sviantek, um, Radikanu versus Goff is, is obviously the type of match that would generate a lot of attention and, and interest. So 
that would be interesting to see that that play out. Definitely. And and golf wins her first title of the year in Auckland. Pretty easy draw for her that she rolled through pretty convincingly beating Rebecca Masarova of Spain in the final. Uh, not really too tested there at golf, but she's just kind of taking care of business and, and being a steady, you know, player uh, there. She was really the only top player who didn't play in United Cup or Adelaide. She went the other route to Auckland and had the yeah. place more or less to herself. There's some interesting names there, but she didn't run into many of them uh, on the way. I She gets a possible tough third round against uh, Zhang Qinwen, yeah. recent Racket Magazine cover girl. I should shout out and subscribe to that. You know, obviously it's much talked about here, uh, very much a tennis hipster pick, and it's kind of waiting for a breakout run. Ostapenko is also in the section, uh, the other part of the section, opens against Diana Yashremska, which is very much a tennis Twitter kind of match, the two of them. Yeah. Uh, also, Paula Bedosa, who is one of my favorite characters in the Netflix series, uh, in terms of just being compelling to camera, you know, talking and telling her own story well, I thought. Bedosa's had a, a better beginning to the season after a pretty disappointing 2022 in a lot of ways. Uh, she started off pretty solid so far. I like golf to get through this, so I think this is actually a really good draw for golf, except for the part where she runs into Sviantec, because she's had a complete inability to get anywhere near beating uh, in 2022. So it's a tough matchup for her. But what do you think about this draw for Coco? Should she be inked into the, the quarters here? I, I think the third round will be tough with Zhang. I mean, if it happens, obviously, that would be... I think that could be like a, a big match. Zhang seems to like rise to the occasion of playing big players, and I think it was actually a very good idea for her to just to go to... To Auckland and to get wins under about a title, you know she's she's it's only her third title, so you know only she's eight, she's still eighteen, so it's just, yeah, only three three is a, a lot, but just yeah that even even though she didn't play anyone, you know even though she was heavily favored to win every match, it's still like a, a big deal to to get that under your belt and to, to go to Australia with that feeling. So yeah, she, she's she's in, I think she's definitely in good shape to to go far and. Is it, I think it's yeah. It's, I don't think it's an, an easy draw. Um, there's there's yeah. definitely players who can take her out. Um, but yeah, she's in a, she's in a good spot. But again, I think that I'm I'm very interested if it happens to see that third round. And even the second round, if we get her, if we get if Raducanu is healthy yeah. and able to play, and she gets golf, that's very that's that's great. That's the kind of, exactly the kind of young rivalry we want to foment. At the same time, we want Britain to to leave Emma alone for a while because she just doesn't deserve this level of scrutiny at her current ranking. <laughs> I want. I mentioned. I want to briefly talk about Moyuka Uchijima, who got this Asia Pacific wild card from the uh, Tennis Australia into the draw. Uh, Uchijima is the only Japanese woman in the draw because Naomi Osaka is not here. Naomi Osaka pulling out of the Australian Open and then a couple of days after that, announcing that she is expecting a baby in the summer, and that uh, she said she, in her statement she hopes to has her sights set on the 2024 uh, Australian swing. So. Basically, ruling herself out for the year, hosted back in 2024. This came on the heels of a lot of talk about Osaka already. And there's always talk about Osaka, uh, even if she hasn't played in months. Talk about how much she was sort of receding from the sport or the phrase quiet quitting was used in a piece by your colleague, Jonathan Liu. As much as obviously the news of the pregnancy trumps those theories in a lot of ways, you know, Naomi had been kind of, I think, I don't think they're totally wrong either. And I'd say this to someone, you know, who's working on a book about about her, which is available for pre-order if you want to get it. I'll throw a link in the description, maybe. I'll do that consistently throughout the year and be obnoxious about it. But, you, you know, Naomi... Yeah, I, 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 will, I will be shameless about the book. Don't worry there. You know, she had... her. She spoke with her coach, Wim Fazette, uh, around June or July last year, and then hasn't hired a full-time replacement. You know, she, she missed a bunch of tournaments in the fall that she would have theoretically, logically played 
in like San Diego, which is very near her home in Los Angeles, Guadalajara, which is a hard court masters on in North America. Uh, she didn't play either of those. And that was before she would have been pregnant or known she was pregnant. So, you know, I do think this is this it's different than the pregnancy interruptions to the careers of Serena and Azarenka, who both very much came at a time when they were really peaking in a lot of ways. Like Serena had just, you know, was pregnant early pregnancy when she won the 2017 Australian Open. Vika found out she was pregnant after she won in the Wells at Miami back to back. You know, for Naomi it's a bit of a reset period. It's a different kind of kind of thing. And obviously didn't say this yet, but congratulations to her, wishing her all the best. Mazel tov, et cetera. But yeah, it's an interesting sort of moment for her and we'll be interested to see how she, what she does next, as it always is with her. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, there's not much to add, I think. I, I agree and, and certainly no, notable that she made the point of, of saying, um, given all the, all the speculation, as you said, the speculation around her and people believing that she was, you know, believing that she was on the way out of the sport and, and not in, interested anymore. Yeah, the fact that she made it very clear that she wants to be back in next year was it was very pointed. But we'll, obviously, we'll see. There's there's a lot there's a lot to come in her life, and yeah, we'll see. You never know. And obviously, cha- having a baby changes people and changes perspective yeah. and changes priorities in ways you can't really predict until it happens to you. So her plans now are what they are. We'll see how that ha- yeah. what happens uh, in a year's time, and just wishing her uh, wishing all the best and, and good health and and happiness and blessings of, of babies and whatnot so all, all, all of yeah next quarter of the draw is anchored by number three jessica pagula who's way up there in the rankings you mentioned the prize money from united cup she was the prize money leader across men and women for the event earning like around eight hundred thousand dollars something like that uh for carrying the u.s team had that really emphatic win over Iga Shiontek in the semifinal match that really sealed the kind of the cup for the United States. Honestly, that was like the swing match and Poland needed that. The United States won the tournament because they had depth and that men's and women's singles. You know, they had four mm-hmm. top 20 players and, and they were just built for that kind of event with their lineup. Um, good draw for Pagula. I think she plays opening against Jacqueline Christen, Christian of Romania, then could get one of the various hashtag various Czech teenagers uh, it's become a show hashtag and Brenda Fervitova, uh, or Sasnovich, uh, and then could get the sister of in the third round could get the sister of uh, Veronica Kudermatova, Paulina Kudermatova, or wildcard Olivia Gadecki. Hmm? So many sisters. Yeah, lots of sisters. Yeah, yeah, sisters, sisters all around. <laughs> Olivia Gadecki, people may remember, is the the player who's from Queensland, uh, who's being mentored at this year's tournament by Ash Barty, who's been mentoring her for a long time. Barty's kind of been looking out for her for quite a while and like watching her, you know, ITF streams and things like that for, for years. Gadecki missed last year's tournament uh, because she didn't want to get vaccinated, which was a requirement. Uh, uh, so I guess even just for the travel. So she missed out. So she's had a, but it was a very highly touted prospect in Australian tennis who kind of got derailed by that quite a bit. So it's interesting to see how she'll make up for that time and what she's been up to. Uh, and a winnable first match against Kudermatova. Uh, the other Kudermatova. And then the other seed in the section is Amanda Anisimova, who's the 28th seed, opened against Marta Kostyuk. I think this is a good job for Pagula. You know, in the fourth round, potentially, she could get the seeds, uh, Kvitova, who's the one player who beat her at United Cup, or Barbara Krejcikova. Um, but just on Pagula, I mean, I think at this point, with her ranking, you have to start thinking, like, can Pagula win this tournament? Is the fair question for her, given her form and her ranking. Can Pagula win the Australian Open? I think she can. I think she's a yeah. totally reasonable pick to win this tournament. Yeah, I agree. And it seems like the the gradual improvement 
has has continued. She was a player that I wanted to speak to before the event because she's a clear contender. And yeah, think back to the U.S. Open last year when she'd made three quarterfinals and then she lost the Shriantek there. And you know, on, on one hand, it was a great achievement, but it was very notable that she came in and was just like, "This sucks. This really sucks." Um, you know, yes, I, 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 on one hand, I should be you know happy with what I've done, but this sucks. And and she said that that was like a moment that. She's very quite quite laid back and keeps to herself, and she doesn't often like loudly express her goals and what she wants. Whereas that was a moment where she's like, "I want more than just being, uh, yeah, yes, I've done really well to, you know, make a top ten career that didn't seem likely, but I want more. I want to be winning these tournaments." And then lo and behold, the next yeah. month she won Guadalajara. This year she seems again be playing with just like an extra swagger, and she really. She played like that. To, to me, that that match against Shriantek was the best match of her career. She played like incredibly well. Like as I said, yeah, at United Cup. Yeah, yeah. at United yeah. Cup. And yeah, like as I said, it was like just really clean, you know, relentless ball striking and and just like Collins last year, just dismantled Shriantek's serve, return winners like just all over the court. So yeah, I think she she clearly comes in as a a contender to win the title. And but she again, she has to deal with that. She's the third seed now, and that's not. Easy. Although Pagula did an unreal job last year at living up to her seating. Yeah. Granted, the bar for that keeps rising because now she's at number three. So now by seating, she should get to the semifinals. There's a very high, a very difficult par to set for a tournament for sure. But Pagula's done that. And I get the sense in that match against Fiontech, which was interesting for the whole tour. You know, there's no reason why Pagula shouldn't have been in the offseason doing drills or sessions with her coach, David Witt, about how do we beat Iga Fiontech, right? you can plan for this specific opponent. And if they had been working that in the offseason, which they should have, because that had, you know, beating her in that many huge matches, you should be planning for opponents like that. And and that worked what she deployed in, in Sydney. And it's interesting to see if she can, she can do it more. If she gets the chance, that is a possible semifinal, uh, very likely or entirely plausible Pagula versus Shvantec. If the seeds hold, I mentioned Patrick Vidova is in here. Uh, she beat Pagula at the United cup. The one player to beat her there. Kvitova opens against Alison Van Oitvank, who got a lot of, you know, Cup time also in the Belgian team. Uh, qualifier Coco Vandewey in here. A bunch of other qualifiers, including another hashtag various Czech teenagers, uh, Sarah Balik, uh, who beat uh, Alicia Parks in the second round of qualifying. Uh, Balik, just 16 years old. Uh, also, like, Fruvirtova, Brenda Fruvirtova, I think is also 16, I believe. 15, yeah. She's still 15? Yeah, she's, she's the... Uh, she's, Good she's, she's, oh, yeah, she's the youngest, like, qualifier since Kostjuk. Yeah, wow, yeah. April 2007, she was born. <laughs> Think of what you were doing in April 2007, because you'll remember it well. It wasn't that long ago, folks. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so, yeah. So, still only 15. Good grief. All right. So, yeah. Krejcikova, though, posted lots and lots of workout videos of herself in the offseason, which I personally loved. Loved to see it. She had a really strong finish to last year yeah. in singles, taking out those two back-to-back titles in uh, Talon and Ostrava, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation yes, point. I, you know, I'm looking forward to her potentially, you know, rebounding because she was such a, yeah. I really enjoyed her rise in 2021. I played the match of the year to, to win Ostrava, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, when she beat Triantec, um in three, like, just really high quality. Points. Such a good, yeah, that's my match yeah. of the year for sure. She, she's still getting in, into the rhythm. Yeah, she played, she played Adelaide too. She started a week late. She played Adelaide too. Yeah. And let me just check the draw here to remind myself who she played. She played against, uh, she beat Risk in the first round, lost to Kasekina yes, in the second yes, round. Yes. A little bit surprising, but Kasekina's a top 10 player, so. Yeah. 
uh, not hugely surprising. But yeah, so, so she, I, I think she's clearly a contender if she can if she finds her rhythm and you know plays as well as she did. Krejcikova, Kvitova as the third round is great. Yeah. That'd be great. And, and, and it should be no, sorry, it should be noted that Kvitova also started the season really well. She played again, as you said, she yeah. beat Pegula in in um, in the United Cup, and then she also lost to Kasakina in uh, in Adelaide. That's right, in Adelaide. But too. She, she she looked like she was striking the ball well and playing well and like continuing because you know if you remember at the start of last season it. it didn't look great for Petra Kvitova, but the second half was was very solid and good and encouraging. And you know, it, it seems like she's she looks good. She looks in good form. Adelaide. So Adelaide two is a five hundred this week. Yeah, I believe. yeah, yeah. And the semifinals did not happen. There were two walkovers in the semifinals, in which Casakina uh, uh, got a walkover from Bedosa. And uh, Bedette Benchish got a walkover from Veronica Kudermatova. And that is like just gifting someone uh, two, 120 ranking points, mm. and which is the bigger prize, honestly, than the $30,000 for those players. That's significant. Yeah. Like, And also just for the for the event, not getting a whole round. Yeah. Like, I think there's an argument around, to me that you shouldn't have tournaments this week, honestly. Like, let just let the players, you know, I don't know. It's, I, I don't know. That's a that's a terrible look for the tournament. Yeah, yeah. Semifinals of a tournament happen, and also at least one of the men's uh, semifinals in Auckland this this week also got was a walkover too. Yeah, maybe yeah, it's just, yeah. Maybe more than that also. So, just just rough. If you think back to the tournament, the the initial main draw, which was just like one of the most stacked tournaments you'll you'll ever see, and then every, the qualities was one of the most stacked tournaments yeah. you've ever seen. And but then every, you know. Almost, so many players withdrew, and it just became filled with yeah. lucky losers spots, and and yeah. So yeah, everyone has their eyes on on the Australian Open, and if there's any small tweak or issue or question mark, they're probably going to withdraw. It isn't necessary, you know. It's not actually not always advisable if because it's possible that you could have the player could make a final in in Adelaide, and you could go to Australia sure. and, and lo- you could lose in the first round still, right? Well, this always used to be the thing with Hobart, I remember, because Hobart, players used to enter Hobart in this week, which is also the smallest WT tournament of the week, and then be in the qualifying for Australian Open, and so they would like, intentionally lose. Remember there yeah, was that match yeah. with uh, Mertens and Vickery, yeah, I think? Yeah, yeah. yeah, so it can be a little bit farcical sometimes, but just the economics of it are what they are. Like, you know, prize money for first round of Australian Open is $100,000, roughly uh, Australian dollars, and making the final of of Adelaide is 74,000 like that's just it's so wonky the, the prize money distribution is so lumpy yeah. in this sport and it really should be smoothed out in a more logical way okay we got to kick the pace yeah, here. Yeah. we're going slow all right uh <laughs> the rest of the bottom half uh, Maria Sakari is the number 6 seed who round out this quarter in the Pagula quarter Shubins against Yuan Yuanwe uh and then could get Diana Schneider, who is, I believe, committed to one of the U.S. colleges, are playing, entered there already, yeah. but it's probably going to turn pro, I'm guessing, pretty soon. Sakari, uh, the third one could get Jill Teichman as a seed, or Rebecca Marino, or Julin. Pretty good draw for Sakari, because Teichman hasn't been at her best lately. Uh, the other high seed in here is Madison Keys, recent United Cup champion with the U.S. And the match that I obviously sort of circle, there are only two former Australian Open champions in the entire women's draw, right, with Osaka out, with Serena retired with Barty retired with you know the rest of them Wozniacki retired and so on and so forth the only two in the draw are Canada and Azarenka and they drew each other in the first round this is actually pretty brutal because 
Cannon's actually had a pretty good week for herself in Hobart, making the semifinals there. So a bit of a tough break for her to draw Azarenka, but she can win that if she's playing well. I mean, it's incredibly tough to assess what Cannon's future is going to be because her present has been so strange. Yeah. But as you said, it was an start to the year for her. So yeah, yeah, Azarenka also had an okay start, um, but not, you know, obviously not the Azarenka of old, but... Uh, it's it's a good match. I think it, it's on a good court as well. And yeah, we'll, we'll see what what Kenin. It's just it's just thinking of Kenin and the fact that she was WTA Player of the Year in 2020. It's just it's madness. <laughs> I've obviously been busy with this book project. Another plug, but like the Kenin story, I hope I hope someone tells it before I have to because I'm like I, it needs to be told yeah. the Kenin story because she just like absolutely went from Player of the Year 2020. Australian Open champ 2020, runner up at the French Open. Two people just forgetting about her wholesale. It's been wild. Uh, Madison Keys is the 10 seed here. Uh, there, I think honestly, like I, this is a really fun section. It's a very even section. I don't think a champion's coming out of this section really. No. But like a lot of matches, I would happily attend. I make all of them the underdog against uh, Pagula in the, in the quarters if that's what how it shakes out. Yeah, I agree. But it's a fun group. Yeah, it's a fun. I I think I like Keys's chances though. I don't know. She just knows how to. Reached second week of us. She made semis there last yeah, year. Yeah, semis of Australia last year. People for, people forget. Yeah, uh, but but yeah, there's, there's a time right, for many players. Um, yeah, let's move on. Let's go to the bottom half. And pick up the major. Sorry, it's been going slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daria Kasakina as the number eight seed is the is the on the top line of the bottom half of the draw. Shubinsky is another Russian or blank is there <laughs> on the draw. Uh, Varvara Gracheva, and then could get Stefanini. Or Tatiana Maria. I'm not familiar with Stefanini. I'm going to say Lucrezia Stefanini. It's a qualifier. Then I could get Pliskova in the third round, potentially. Carolina Pliskova, who's down to number 30 seed. Surprising seeing that high a number next to Pliskova's name. Uh, Pliskova is reunited with coach uh, Sasha Bayan, who she made the Wimbledon final under a couple years ago. Uh, they're back together after splitting when she was you know, had a rough start to last year. Pliskova could get Putin Seva, second round. Uh, I think this is a pretty good draw for Kasakina, really. Yes. Um, especially since she's playing well and you know doing big things in... Uh, in Adelaide currently like you her form seems good and then fourth round potentially she could get Veronica Kudermatova who's way up at number nine in the seedings after her quietly strong year speaking of walkovers Kudermatova's ranking is much higher because of walkovers she got like an absurd number of walkovers and retirements against her last year yeah. uh, Kudermatova's draw I think it's actually really soft uh, she opens against Zinevska they can get Rodina who came back out of nowhere at the US Open last year and nearly played Serena uh, had a match point against Tomjanovic in that second round uh, Zhang Shuai up at 23, which is higher than I expected Zhang Shuai to be in the rankings, which is him playing a yeah, lot. She did not rest. She kept. She would. She toiled yeah. through Europe when when everyone was taking their 10, 10 day off season. She just kept on going, playing like you know 125 k's and yeah. And she's she's. Yeah. I believe she's close to her um, career high, which her career high is 23 in in 2016, and she's right there. So yeah, good. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, and a good draw for her too. This is I think a pretty soft section actually of the draw all things considered. And so I think Kasekini, yeah, she gets through this. It'd be nice to see her make a, a deep run in a major again. I know she made the semifinals at the French Open, but I don't think that made much noise. Actually, she beat Kudermatova en route to that, that result as well, if I recall correctly. Yep. Uh, the other part of this quarter, the other eighth of the quarter is Caroline Garcia, the recent Fort Worth champ of the WTA year-end championships. Uh, she opens against Seboff, the Canadian qualifier, Catherine Seboff, and then could get Leila Fernandez or Alize Corneo, which is a fun first round between the two of them. Uh, and then could get uh, Irina Camelia Begu, who's another sort of surprising seed at number uh, 27. Also, welcome back to the draw, Zheng Shai Sai, who's back here. A lot, like a, like a huge number of protected rankings in this draw 
also for the women, which made the cut. The original cut was really high, which is why players like Alicia Parks and Linda Noshkova didn't get in uh, originally because of the the cut being so high because all these protected rankings. That's Garcia. I haven't Garcia. Do you think? I, I think she should get to the fourth round. I think it's actually a pretty winnable section for her if she's in form. I don't know what Layla is going to be like. I think Layla or Cornet. Obviously, Cornet made the quarterfinals there last year and a breakout run for her. But I think you know if it's playing quick and Garcia still has her confidence, maybe she doesn't. Who knows? Yeah. I, I have a tough time calling this one actually, but I, but I think Garcia on paper should be it and should make it to the quarters actually because Contivate at number sixteen uh, is the other high seed in this eighth of the draw and Alexandrova. Yeah, I I like yeah, uh, it's a good section. Man. I like Garcia here. Oh, yeah, I guess yeah. I, I think that for me the question marks probably that second round if Fernandez or you know finds form or if Cornet does what she does and has done in slams recently. But yeah, it's, it's a good good section for her, but definitely, particularly if she can pick up momentum after the first couple of rounds. Yeah, I agree. Arena Sabalenka is the high seed in the next eighth of the draw, number five seed, recent winner at Adelaide, number one, informed player. Obviously, we know well she's often struggled to translate her success at the tour-level events to the Grand Slam. So the, the Grand Slam has been better for her in recent years. Uh, still no finals yet, but a couple of semifinals she's had so far. I think her draw is one of the softer ones also as she opens against uh, Teresa Martinsova and then gets uh, potentially Rogers or Hartono. Uh, Shelby Rogers had kind of a down uh, 2022 at her very strong 2021. And before that, uh, they could get uh, the seed, Elisa Mertens, who opens against Garbini Muguruza, the unseeded Garbini Muguruza. So both 2020 Australian Open finalists are unseeded in this draw. And then Davis and, and Kovinich are the other people in this section. I think Sabalenka should, should roll through here. Mertens has not had a great start to her year as the seed. And Muguruza, who knows? Uh, if Muguruza gets a win over Mertens, that could be really meaningful for her, actually. To give her some momentum and confidence, which she's been so short on. Uh, then it, even by the time she gets to the third round, maybe she will have heated, heated up enough to challenge Sabalenka. But I like Sabalenka to, to get through there. And then a fourth uh, fourth round potentially against Belinda Bencic, just number 12 seed. Uh, Bencic opens against uh, Tomova. And it could get an American, either Claire Liu or Madison Brengel. Uh, and then Trevisan, who played some good matches in the... United Cup for Italy, making it to the final for them, or Camilla Giorgi, who is being investigated by Italian authorities for potentially fraudulent vaccine documents. <laughs> also, welcome back to the Grand Slam stage, Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova, who's in another protected ranking, opens against Georgie, uh, has played some decent ball in Adelaide in these last couple weeks. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of this section, Tumani? Um, well, I think, as you said, it's, it's, a, it's a good section for Sabalenka, and to be honest, it, it does feel like, to me like things are kind of really coming together for, for Sabalenka. You know, you, you mentioned that she, she'd obviously had, had her struggles with um, uh, in the slams, but she's, you know, she's obviously performed, she's started to perform well in them, made semis of the US Open, you know, she, I mean, was up a break in the third set against um, Shriantek in the semis there. Obviously, she made the final of the WJ finals. She's winning, obviously, funnily enough, like when, when she began to perform well, at slams, her, she she began she won fewer tournaments, you know she she but she she started the year with a win in Adelaide. She, she started last year she had ser, she started the year with just crazy serve, service problems in double faults, you know twenty plus double faults in matches and couldn't get a second serve in the court. But that seems to be rectified and she just seems to be on the court in a in a really good place and she's clearly one of the I think maybe the the second second favorite you know but behind Shriya. I think she might be the, in in my eyes, the the person who is both in good form 
and also if if she was to meet Shiontek at some point, it has you know she knows how to beat her. She's not afraid. She has the game. So so yeah, I'm I'm, I'm interested. I'm sure she you know she must know how well she's been playing and the opportunity here. So it's, it's going to be interesting just to see how she handles all of this and and yeah. But I think she has a great chance of of going deep and and being a contender for the title. I completely agree. She should be absolutely in the mix and. There's no longer really meaningfully, certainly first week, a thing at Grand Slams where you're like, oh, Sabalenka always underperforms. Like I said, she's made several semis at this point now, played Shiontek tough at the U.S. Open. Like, she can she can be in the mix for sure, and and I, I think she's ready, and I think the draw is pretty good for her. In the quarterfinals, she could potentially pace, face the number two seed, on Shabur, who's down the last line of the draw. Shabur opens against Tamara Zidanecek, and then gets uh, Risk, or another protected ranking player, uh, Marketa von Joshua. Uh, and then uh, Kaya Kanepi, big hitter Kaya Kanepi, seated finally at number 31 after years of being unseated and looming. Uh, uh, another various Czech teenager, hashtag various Czech teenagers, Linda Vervutova, sister of Brenda. Linda being, I believe, 17 now. 17-year-old yeah. Linda Vervutova is in the section as well. A lot of wild cards and stuff in there. I think it's a good section for Jabur. I kind of like the matchup with Kanepi for her. I think she can unnerve that kind of power. I think it's probably the kind of matchup she probably doesn't mind. Uh, Kanepi did make quarterfinals there last year, though. And then Haddad Maya and uh, Lumila Samsonova are the seeds elsewhere in that section of the draw, also with a couple of names recognizable, like Sloan Stevens and Donna Vekic in that section of the draw. Shabur uh, uh, played in Adelaide in the first week of the season, uh, did not take a Tunisian team to United Cup. She could have. Yeah. The way it works, she could have played, but she chose not to. Uh, lost to Noshkova, who was the surprise qualifier, another hashtag various Czech teenager, made the final there a surprising breakout run uh, it's not in this main draw because her ranking rose too late and when venus pulled out there was a great chance i thought to give her the wild card but i believe it went to kimberly barrel i believe got the replacement wild card in this section i think yeah, yeah so barrel got about it kind of missed opportunity i think but whatever yeah shipper has made the last two slam finals it, can she make it three in a row and maybe even go even further what do you think i think she's in a decent section I think the, yeah. the second round is, is interesting to me. I think Vondrushtova's been playing. She, she obviously, she had surgery last year. And she actually, I, I, so I went to Czech Republic for the Great Britain versus um, Czech Republic in, in the Billy Jean Cup. Mm-hmm. And Vondrushtova was unbelievable. She like just dis, she destroyed Radagani, which, I mean, obviously it's <laughs> other people have done, but like she just played, she was so good. And I, I was, you know, I was so excited to watch her for the rest of the clay season and and then she got injured and didn't play but she's at the end of last last season she she won a 100k she you know started to get into rhythm again and she started strongly this year and made quarterfinals in adelaide and lost to sabalenka i think i believe and yeah she's, she's playing very well so i think although i think that could be a, a tough tough outing for jabir and also with her variety someone who could actually make jabir overthink and you know in, in make her hmm. Maybe, as as often happens with Jabir, she can sometimes fall into do, doing too much in, in terms of using her variety, too many drop shots, etc. Instead of you yeah. know relying on also her force tracking ability. So I'm 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 excited to see to, to see that match up. Obviously, there's funny enough, I, I feel like when Kanepi becomes a seed, it drains her of all her powers. She when she's yeah. when she's unseeded. <laughs> watch out but you know her, her being a, you know she'll she'll take out any top player she that comes across her but as a seeded player it, it, it's sort of often not not as not the case but yeah i think it's a good 
it's a good draw for um, uh, Jabir, and she, she's had a few good, fair draws um, recently, particularly at, at Wimbledon. I think when that that opened that opened up for her, and she took advantage and made the final. And yeah, she, yeah. I mean, she's as with Jabir, she's always quite clear and honest and open and loud about her ambitions, which I, I, I really like. And, and we know her ambitions. She, she's here to win a slam, and to and she wants to. You know, she's the world number two. She wants to get as close to she wants to get as possible and, and reach number one. I remember she actually. I'm going on. We need to be quicker, but um, it's okay. Some at some point last season, she said that she wants she wants to be number one, and that got so much like yeah, almost criticism, and people couldn't believe that she would dare to say that because you know Shirondek has like double the amount of points or whatever. <laughs> But no, he, if you're at number two and you're not trying to be number one, what are you yeah, even doing? Why are you here? You know, yeah. um, right? And and Ons on the rankings has no points to defend from Australia last year. She didn't play last year uh, due to injury, so she has a chance to make up some ground there. And Chiantek is defending a lot of points coming up in the first half of the season. You mm-hmm. know, so there's no reason why Jabir shouldn't think about closing the gap. Yeah. My sort of overall assuming out finish up the women here before we get to the men. We'll try to do them quicker. Uh, I think this. I, I, you know, fool me once, shame on me, etc. But I think I'd be very surprised if it's not a top. I'd be a little bit conservative here, and not not a top ten seed winning this tournament. Like, I agree. I think, which I don't usually say for women's slams. Like you just don't. That's not how it's been lately. But I think for the most part, the best players do match the rankings for now, and we have a little bit of data from the beginning of the year to, to back that up. And I'm not as confident. I'm. I think I don't think I picked Shantik over the field. I think is the fair question, uh, based on her dominant last season. And I think I might take the field over Shantek just based on some of the United Cup shakiness, but I wouldn't be surprised by her either. Uh, and she did win the U.S. Open when there were not high hopes for her there, uh, with you know her complaints about the balls and whatnot. We can remember. Um, I hope the storylines we have consolidate in this tournament and the season and get some continuity. Yeah, uh, be nice to have. Would be nice. Let's go to the men's draw. The men's draw is anchored by a Spaniard on top, which we expected. We did not expect it to be Rafael Nadal. Carlos Alcaraz pulled out of the Australian Open with a hamstring injury. It's a big disappointment. It is the third time in the last five slams the number one ranked player is not in the men's draw, which is kind of wild. Uh, well, not doesn't play a first-round match. Djokovic was in the draw and then got withdrawn when he got deported. But Dino Medvedev was banned from Britain and couldn't play Wimbledon. Now Alcaraz out here. Tough draw for Nadal, who went 0-2. Let's talk about Nadal. Nadal went 0-2 in United Cup, losing three set matches to Cameron Norrie. And Alex Dimonor, both top 20-ish players, doesn't seem like a disaster on paper, but those are also not players he's ever lost to before and played them several times. So not great losses for sure. Tight matches. You know, he's defending champion, defending 2,000 points. He gets a tough opening match against Jack Draper, who's one of the fast rising people. Tough for Draper, obviously, too. What he keeps losing to English-speaking players wasn't previously his move, Nadal. Like he lost a bunch of Americans last year. What do you what do you make of Rafael Nadal Pereira and how he sets up for a, a title defense and a potential twenty four third Grand Slam? Yeah, yeah. Good luck. Um, it's been it's been a struggle since since really since the the semifinals of Wimbledon went well since that Fritz match when he injured his abdominal muscle and then had to withdraw before facing Nick Kyrgios in the semifinals of Wimbledon. It's just been a struggle. Um, he hasn't. I do think that. It seems, at least, that he may have tr- tried to come back too soon, and so it's been a the, the abdominal has been a continuous issue. And if, you know, he's he's still his serve is still slightly, at least it was in other 
in the United Cup, it was it w he wasn't serving his his service motion wasn't as it as it previously was before the abdominal issue. He had to adapt it when he came back in the United States, you know, to so that it was you know more beneficial and and less harsh on on his his injury and it still isn't back to as it was before. Um, he's lost in addition to losing his first two matches this year. He's lost I think six of his last seven matches. The, the only since since the U.S. Open, um, the only match he won was a dead rubber against you know Kasparud at, at the ATP Finals. Yeah. Again, it's been tough, but at the same time, Rafa Nadal has, has has had his struggles in his career, and and he's often known how to find rhythm and move on and find find a way to play himself into form. That was in a different way. That was the case last year when he he came he arrived in Australia with have, having only played one tournament since the French Open. And you know he he, yeah. he played himself into form and ended up winning. But yeah, this is obviously a, a huge huge first round, and particularly as as a British journalist, um, Jack Jack Draper just made the semis in um, Adelaide too. Had a solid win over Karen Kachanov and also beat Tommy Paul. And he's he, he's I think he's he's obviously ex extremely dangerous and you know a, a very good young player with huge weapons, lefty, a big serve, like big forehand. I think he's actually quite. He's still kind of underranked, just because his 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 big issue has been his body. It's you know it it just it's been it, physically it's it's been a struggle for him at, at times. You know last year at the U.S. Open it seemed like he was really he was playing incredibly well. He did dim, dismantled Felix Ogier-Aliassime and and then was against Kachanov looked like he had the upper hand. I think he served for the third set. It was one set all and he served for the third set, but then he got injured and had to um, retire from the match. So that that's been his his issue, and it would be interesting to see if I mean he, probably it benefits him that he he, he lost in the semi final of, of Adelaide to um, Juan Sunwu, and for the match against although that was a big opportunity actually and a tough three set match it probably for the match against Nadal it probably benefits him that he wasn't he isn't playing a final today and then having to turn around and face Nadal on Monday um, in the day, um, but yeah. He, I think he's he was to me he was one of the most dangerous unseeded players and yeah and and it's and it's a tough first round for Nadal but at the same time it's Nadal and he normally finds a way as clearly at some point in his career he's not he's you know he's he's 36 now but I, I yeah it, it's a tough match but it's also the type of challenge that Nadal's obviously faced before so yeah I'm I'm just very curious to see how how that goes for both of them really. Rafa has been kind of an expert at depressing his own stock price, especially before the French Open. And then the, the last year's French Open, you know, obviously like at Rome, he lost to Shapovalov and it was disaster. And he's, he's done, he's washed, it's over. And then he wins the 14th French Open. And we all, anyone who doubted him, looks kind of silly for everything. It's interesting there. But the, the data is meaningfully bad for him right now. Like he has, you know, lost to, at the, since Wimbledon withdrawal, uh, he lost to Borna Chorich, obviously in Cincinnati, won three matches against pretty, unimpressive honestly com uh, competition at the u.s open lost a set to rinky hijikata in the first round uh then beat fanini and gasquet uh and then lost to tiafo then he lost to tommy paul then he lost to taylor fritz then he lost to felix ogialisim the dead rubber against kasparud then lost to nori and demon R. in the elo rankings i don't know if people know elo but elo is basically like a power ranking system that is used in chess obviously foremost but it also applies to tennis and it gives a different kind of rankings to the players in elo currently Rafa Nadal is 15th, which is 
very, very huge disparity from his seating at number one in the, in the Australian Open. It just kind of shows that where he's trending a little bit more recently, and he's at 15. I mean, it's not perfect. It has Djokovic number one, which I think is actually pretty accurate in the ELOs. But yeah, I think it's it's a meaningful time to, to look at Nadal and, and, you know, wonder how much he has in him. And, and again, he's proven everything wrong so many times. It feels silly to keep saying that. After Draper in the draw, I think it's actually pretty good. So once he gets past Draper, Nakashima, who, who could beat him also. I mean, Nakashima's had a solid year, but it would be a bit surprising. Uh, won his first tour title at uh, in his hometown of San Diego last year. Made a fourth round of Wimbledon. Lost to Kyrgios there. Uh, and then the seed he gets potentially in the third round is Nishioka. I think it's a really good matchup for Nadal. I don't yeah. see someone like Nishioka really troubling at all. At all. Uh, and then potentially, then it gets tougher in the fourth round against Francis Tiafa, who beat him at the U.S. Open last year and you know had a, a good... United Cup start to the year. So I think that Tiafo uh, could go in there with a shot, but it's one of those things where it's, once Nadal gets the win, especially against Draper, Draper's a great chance to kickstart the tournament. It's actually probably yeah. a draw. If I was Nadal, I wouldn't be mad yeah. at that. I wouldn't be mad at getting a little bit of a chance to really fight off a legit player. And I do think this is going to be a huge year for Jack Draper, potentially. And I think he should be rightfully the main character in British media, sorry, in tennis coverage this year. In, in uh, British tennis coverage. It just seems like his time. Yeah. Ahead of yeah, Raducanu, I'll, I'll, I'll check it. Is that, is that what you meant? Yeah, yeah, definitely not globally. Not <laughs> but yeah, it's actually the, the funny thing is that it's actually Raducanu's existence is, is has been incredible for him, I think, because he's he's clearly extremely talented. And, yes, exactly. That's a huge and, and it seems like like there's, there's also consensus that you know pretty much everyone you you know pretty much everyone who's seen him is is like this guy's really talented. But he doesn't have any you know he has so little you know when you think of British players and the hype they receive for. He's an underhyped British player. It's impossible. Yeah, yeah. Think of Maria Sharapova saying like you, you, you get on the front page of of newspaper if you <laughs> reach the semi final or, or yeah, whatever. Um, so yeah, funny. It's a great quote. But like, yeah, he, he's he's extremely underhyped given his talent, and I think that's it, it's 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 been very very good to him. He's he's been able to develop you know quietly, and he's had as I said, he's had physical issues, but. He does hasn't had the scrutiny of people, you know, putting pressure on him to, you know, solve them overnight and and yeah, it's yeah. worked to his advantage. And I, I agree, this could be a huge year for him. This is really his, you know, he's only really been regularly on the tour since I'd say the uh, the grass season really, or, or just before that. Yeah, the grass season, I'd say. Um, so it's yeah, yeah but let's let's see what he's got basically. Let's yeah. let's see what he's got in these these big matches against big players and the top stages and. Yeah, yeah, it's a fun draw. Fun draw. Uh, Tiafo here also obviously making use of the same final, looking to back that up. He could get uh, Karen Hatchinoff in the third round, potentially before facing Nadal, likely. And a good start for him against Daniel Altmaier and then Oscar Ata or Jerry Shang. Three, what Jerry Shang, one of three Chinese men in this draw. The Chinese men are, are building up numbers here after being pretty absent from yep. the tour for a long time. The second section of the second eighth of the draw is the Dino Medvedev section, meaning there could be a rematch of last year's final potentially in the quarterfinals. Medvedev obviously was up two sets to love on Nadal in that final, uh, as briefly shown on Netflix. Medvedev briefly. opens against Marcos Giron, and yes, briefly, and then could get John Millman or Mark Andrea Husler. Uh, shout out to Mark, shout out to whoever on Twitter on tennis Twitter made a Mark Andrea Husler fan cam. I scrolled across one of those okay. the other day. I was just impressed by the by the industriousness of the tennis Twitter sphere. The Mark Andrea Hussler's getting fan cams. Not a lot of footage of him out there, but it was it was a nice fan cam. I thought it was lovely. You know who you are if you're out there. If you made a Mark Andrea Hussler fan cam, or if you know who did this, just you know send along my my best wishes. It's good to have that industry booming in the sport. 
Uh, Millman, you know, it's a wild card here. Medvedev could get in the third, potentially Sebastian Korda, who had a very good start to the season, making the final in Adelaide, holding championship point in that final on return against Novak Djokovic. Uh, couldn't convert it and wound up losing that match in three sets. But uh, he's trending up after a kind of disappointing kind of sophomore slump kind of year in 2022 in a lot of ways. Korda, you know, is someone who's picked to rise, and it's going to be interesting to see how he mixes with the other Americans here. I like Medvedev here. I think Medvedev has done well, and the fourth round is also, this is a tough section actually in terms of the seeds, uh, because then the other two seeds are Hubert Hurkacz and Dennis Shapovalov. Shapovalov made, uh, you know, fourth round of Australia last year, beating fourth round of quarters. He beat, beat Zverev, and then he lost to Nadal. I forget, I think that was fourth round. Anyway, yeah, what do you make of that second uh, section? Speaking of Americans, I just wanted to note um, Inesco Escobedo, who, yes. who, who <laughs> fun, he, he, so he, he He's he's now represent he's obviously from the represented the United States previously, but he's now represented Mexico. The flag changed mid tournament, yep. and now in the main draw, at least the main draw I'm looking at is changed back to the United States. So, <laughs> well, so so what it is what it is is interesting actually is that it depends on where you are because he is still I think it's a Tomjanovic situation. Oh, actually, no, they changed it. Okay, never mind. I would say earlier in the week on the ATP site he was still American, but on the Australian Open website he was Mexican. Now on the ATP he's Mexican. So I think it's he's he's basically yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. been a long process yeah. for him to get to which has been in the works for a while. Um, and it's cool. I've written I, uh, there was a great profile of him a couple of years back. I linked I tweeted it recently if you want to check on it by Nick Pacelli, who used to do some feature writing for the for the Times Sports section on Escobedo and his background. Um, his first cousin Emilio Nava lost in the final round of qualifying, so could have both of them in the main draw here. Nava, um, a lot of power on Nava. He uh, played Murray at the U.S. Some people might remember. Anyway, he uh, he just barely listened. He still represents the U.S. Um, but yeah, Escobedo, it's been nice to see him there and have him be more of a clear star attraction. His ranking has not been great. I mean, he's ranked 310 right now. Yeah. But uh, he has he a chance. Uh, good draw, actually. I mean, Taylor Daniel obviously beat Murray last year, but it's not an unwinnable match for Escobedo if he's, he's playing well. And uh, it would be nice to have Mexico on the map in, in tennis and also what they're having on the women's side as well with uh, Contreras Fernandez uh, also doing well or making some slams anyway, winning some matches. If not yet top 100, I don't think. Anyway, yeah, good good shout on Escobedo. Uh, do you like Medvedev to make it to the the quarters here? What do you think of this section or Corda or, or honestly, you can make an argument for I think all three of the of, for her cash Corda and Medvedev. Yeah. I think pretty fairly, and then Chapo's a, a very credible fourth seed in there. I, 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 yeah, I think I mean I was it was tough the the, the, the Medvedev's match against Djokovic um, in in Adelaide was not not a great look. Just how how simply how no. easily Djokovic kind of navigated him and moved past him and. Yeah, it's not been great, right? Like last year, he was what number one. Now he's seeded seventh and trying to, you know, just regain the form. It, it's been difficult. Defend a final too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but I could, I yeah, certainly, I could see him. Just the 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 greater experience, best of five. I'd say, you know, I'd, I'd say if he was facing Corder in in best of three, I'd, I'd actually I might lean towards the upset, given how well Corder played last last week. But I think, well, yeah, yeah, last week. But I think. In, in best of five, I think Med, Medvedev might have a bit. I, I could see him, yeah, reaching the quarterfinal. Well, I, I I think he's probably the favorite to reach the quarterfinal, even though his his form hasn't been great. And and Herkacz wasn't Herkacz was was okay in in the United Cup, um, but not you know he was okay. Um, so I, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I think Medvedev is, is definitely the the favorite in that section to reach the quarters, and he could find some form quickly and easily. He has the class and the talent, but yeah, it's, it's just also not been ideal for him the last three months. 
I mean, the court is trending up. I would buy Cordis stock right now at this current ranking. I think that he, you know, he made, he's made three finals in recent months. He made two finals late last year in Gijon and in uh, Belgium. And then he gets to the final in uh, Adelaide, obviously, and holds that match points in Djokovic. Yeah. You know, I think he's, yeah, he's he's someone to look for. And, and it'll be a test for him. A, a match against Medvedev, third round, probably presumably on like labor, you would think. Yeah. Uh, or at least at least one of the big courts would be a would be a marquee yeah. kind of uh, achievement unlocked kind of win if he can get it for yeah. him right and we've seen him coming for a long time junior champ formerly at the Australian Open it, it, it that's a third round of circle sure. I think for sure and, those two guys yeah, and, and, and that could be a really kind of year that could be a really kind of bellwether match for the year I think for yeah, both of those okay. guys potentially and and, and certainly like quarters his serve has been the most like impressive improvement it's really been good because yeah. obviously before he was he was he's he's Obviously, a really silky ball striker, really clean, flat ball striker. Um, but the, the serve was, given his height and his stature, his, his serve wasn't quite. He wasn't getting as much out of his serve as it would help his his game style. But he's clearly worked on that, and as you said, played really well at the end of the year and has brought that into the new year. So, yeah, that's a that, certainly that's a very fun and potentially important, like pivotal third round match to come. And I think both will make. Yeah, I think so too. So I'm looking forward to that. The next quarter of the draw, Stefano Tsitsipas, uh, who's done well in Melbourne over the years, not made a final there yet, but he's done well. Uh, opens against Gantan Alice, who played pretty well in Auckland this week. Uh, Tsitsipas then could get Yana Kampfman and Rinky or Rinky Hijikata, the aforementioned Rinky Hijikata. Don't get to say that too much. Their seed this section is Botic van der Zanskulp, who could play an all Dutch match in the second round against recent Pune champion Talon Griekspoor. Uh, so that would be a, a David special. Yeah, I think Tsitsipas, I like the section from a lot, actually, because Sinner, who is the 15th seed here, scroll ahead to the fourth round, uh, Sinner, he he clobbered uh, surprisingly, very surprisingly, in the Australian Open quarterfinals last year, which I didn't see coming at all. Yeah. Sinner would win that match, actually, and Tsitsipas wound up, wound up really, really routing him. Uh, Tsitsipas, you know... Just doing his thing, same old, same old with Tsitsipas. I feel like more or less. Shout out to recent United Cup captain Petro Tsitsipas, who I feel like didn't really hold on to the reins on that bench. No, I gotta no. say, I feel like he was upstaged by his father. And if I was Petros, I would have said, "Dad, who's the captain here? I yeah. am the captain now." Very much Captain Phillips, Somali pirate vibes. If I was Petro Tsitsipas, yeah. I heard I heard some mixed reviews about Petros's reign as captain as well. Apparently, he was while while Sakari was playing um while Sakari was playing her match, he was at the back of the bench eating pasta or something. So, not... <laughs> Captain's got to eat, yeah. but, you know, but, but but he just didn't seem very... He didn't seem to be actually, like, being the yeah. captain. It just was frustrating because, I look, I'm all for, you know, to use the phrase of 2023, <laughs> Nepo babies. <laughs> like, if you get there, you get the opportunity to take it. I just feel like he didn't take it, yeah. you know? So, anyway. Rooting for special suit spots always. I'm, I've, I've talked to him. He's a nice yeah, guy. yeah, for sure. I also wanted to shout the um the draw ceremony which which this was a pronunciation what is Van Zandershop which was <laughs> Wayne McEwen is absolutely horrendous at pronunciations and I don't know why he insists on doing it year after year <laughs> at his current level of 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 incompetence I just don't know why that there have just been some what was, what was what he said for he said Felix. Felix's name last year was just yeah, an absolute yeah, yeah. disaster. I don't know why they don't practice. Like, just just get a, a mock draw. There's no surprises. Yeah. There's no surprises, yeah. right? Like, you know who you watch. Especially because he's saying the names of seeds yeah. often. They can't get the yeah, seeds. Yeah, Corich was yeah. one of them this time. Corich. 
that's not as bad as some of the other ones have been. Other ones have been way worse. Yeah, I think this is good for Tsitsipas. If but Musetti's Musetti hurt his shoulder, uh, retired from a match at United. I'm not totally sure of his status there. He's also seen here playing against uh, another guy. I think with the shoulder issue. I think that's what Lloyd Harris was out with. I believe I the so, shoulder yeah. issue. Uh, Lloyd Har- Lloyd Harris was out with injury for quite a while, and he's coming back with protected ranking playing against Musetti. Uh, another protected ranking fella, Kyle Edmund, mm-hmm. also in the section opening against the Uh Kyle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's a throwback. 2018 yeah. semifinalist Kyle Edmund at the Australian Open, same year as Yun Chung. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's the strongest section, really. But uh, I think that uh, Sitsipas actually should roll through this. That's yeah. what I think. Even I feel like, I feel like that's been the story of Sitsipas in 2022, certainly. But Stefano's getting by with less than his best. Yeah. And I think he can do we'll, that here. Yeah. We'll see. I'm curious to see like what what given how well Sinner seemed to be playing last year, what, what he what he has to bring this year. Mazzetti was also playing yeah. well, even so far. Mazzetti Mazzetti was also playing well has also been playing well and I mean his his seeding kind of reflects that. Um so I, 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 yeah. that would be a fun if it happens, a fun third round between young Italians who are now two seeding spots between each other. Um, I, yeah. I, I like to see that. Sinner, I will say, is being coached by Darren Cahill, so he'll have maybe a little bit more Aussie connection and comfort uh, from that from that uh, person, that local, there for him as well. Uh, we mentioned Felix Ojeda recently. He is in the fourth uh, quarter of the draw in the Sitsipas quarter. The other seed, number six seed, Felix. Uh, he opens against another Canadian, Vashik Pasvasil, could get Stan Vavrinka in the second round. He opens against Alex Molchan. Uh, the seed in that third round could be uh, Francisco Sarundolo. So overall, pretty big win for Felix Strawwise, I think. Although I mean, I can't say it was Stan. I mean, I, Stan is not someone you want to see per no. se, but Stan is also. I don't. Th- I don't expect twenty twenty three Stan to trouble Felix. How do you feel about that? I, I wouldn't think so. He, he Stan, Stan played. I think he played pretty well in in the United Cup. Uh, yeah, he played yeah. okay. Um. So yeah, but so it'll be, it will be certainly a a match on the high on a one of the show courts and an opportunity for him to kind of to, to show. His magic, you know, what he has left. But yeah, I think this. Oh, I don't think I don't think Stan is a gimme against Molchan no, either. No, I Stan yeah, is, you know, no. at this point, nothing's nothing's written. No. In but I, I agree with you. Um, I think this is a good draw for for Felix. Yeah, yeah. I agree. For it, it gets tough in the fourth round with Chorich or, or Cameron yes. Nori. I like Felix there, though. I think honestly, I think this is a good draw for Felix in a lot of ways. Actually, this is a good quarter for Felix. Period. Like. If Felix gets Stefanos into a current Stefanos form, I, I, that's the kind of match I would almost think Felix should win at this point in his career, right? Like I think I think Felix I think Stefanos is a relatively soft number three seed, relatively, and I I like this for Felix. Although Felix obviously had some tough losses early at Slams last year, losing first round Wimbledon and U.S. Open, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, some some things to do, and obviously it, uh, very played Medvedev very tough in the Australian Open quarterfinals yeah. last year, losing that one. Um, yeah, I think Felix, you know, I, I I think Felix will be a top five player, which is not obviously a, a lot to a, a big leap because he's currently number six seed, but I think he should be keep steadily rising. And and, and after yeah, you know, uh, just, just after how well he, he performed um, post U.S. Open when he yeah, he really found yeah. something and you know dragged himself to the ADB finals. Of course, it was on on it was indoors, but he, I think he's he's given himself a, a a really nice platform for this year. Um, in a Kind of a similar way, similar but different way to Sabalenka I mentioned before. Um, yeah. A couple of years ago, Felix obviously did well at Slams. You know, he you know made his first semi-final, and but he he was still trying to win his first you know trying to win his first title. Last year it was all about 
you know, he, he finally won his first title and then won several. Um, so now, like, all of that is in the past. Uh, you know, he's kind of resolved both of those things. And, yeah, again, at the end of the year, he, he just played with a, a, a level of freedom that he doesn't tend to do, you know, for all his kind of physical talents and ball striking talents. He, he often, you know, he becomes tight and, you know, less imaginative with, with his, his game and his style of play. So, yeah, yeah he, he's given himself a, a great platform to, to, to do something. And as you said, I agree, it's, it's a good draw to do so. I think, I do think there are potential banana peels, like players like Nori or Chorich, just the, just the way they can re- retrieve everything and, and, you know, enrage, enrage yeah. a player like him could be tough. But yeah, it, it's definitely a huge opportunity, I think. And he should be looking to take it. Nori is both like the best and worst player to watch in that way. Like his game is just like so it would be so annoying to play against him. Is yeah. What I think about is when I watch him play. Like it's not aesthetically pleasing in any sort of classical sense, but like it's effective and I admire that and certainly I've admired that in tons of WTA players over the yeah. years. And I think Nori brings that same kind of energy in a lot and of ways. I just I appreciate that Nori embraces it. You know, sometimes you're uh, you, yeah. you know how pretty much every player in the world, almost every player in the world will say, oh, I'm, I'm going to be aggressive. I'm going to attack. And then certain players, obviously, like that's not the way they play tennis. <laughs> They're going to stand five foot behind the baseline and well, even more than that and and just wait out points. Whereas Nori is very clear about that. And, it, and particularly in, in slams in best of five, he's, he's always, you know, his, his, one of his catchphrases has become like, um, again, when he plays top players, he's, he's I'm, I'm, I'm waiting until the two hour mark and then the match begins you know he's he's here to grind you to death and, and obviously he's he's improved like certain aspects of his game he's, he's you know his for his serve and his forehand have become more effective but yeah i like that he just embraces that that side of him and he's obviously playing he started the year really well win over nadal he's six nil um in his matches so far he's playing in in the Auckland final which which although he's like heavily favored to win might, might actually be a really big deal for him given that that's his former home and that'll be a big title yeah. to win. Um, you, the, 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 you're, you're smiling, but it was a tournament that he kind of grew up going to and getting autographs from players. So that, that's always like a big deal when you can come back and win it, and especially as a top player. So yeah, he, he, I mean, I think just to say, I think Nori has, although Oje Alessim, as I, you know, all I just said about Felix, like Nori's playing really well and he's playing he's confident and it seems like he's just continuing to improve so you know another deep slam yeah. run would not be at all surprising really in my opinion yeah yeah no I mean that's a good fourth round of circle for sure I think it should happen but I was smiling at it's just the thought of what the alternate world in which Cameron Nori qualifies New Zealand <laughs> for the United Cup and leaves Great Britain behind it just could have happened could have happened. happened all right and New Zealand obviously has no tennis export to speak of right now in singles uh beyond him yeah. We, we, we miss you, Rakovic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where have you gone? A shout out to Aaron Rutliff, though. Yeah. All right, bottom half of the draw here. Andre Rublev versus Dominic Team. This is one of those matches I feel like people will circle and be like, ooh, popcorn, popcorn, but I wouldn't really recommend you watch. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, you can watch if you want, but like, I don't know that we have any reason to think the team is ready to, to put on a show in this match from what he did in 2022. You know, I... I would like it to be good, but I'm just, I, I think it's such an obvious popcorn match. But for me, like, I don't know. I might watch a bit and then check out. I, 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 yeah, I, I think. I don't think it will be a, a beat down in the way that 
you know, some of our team's other matches with top players were. Like, he did build some momentum. He, he actually reached, like, quite a few quarters, like, top quarter finals last year. Um, but, yeah, it's... I could, like, I could see him winning a set and, you know, making it tight for, for at some point. But I guess, like, just over best of five, that's quite tough. Um, Rublev didn't start the season well, though. So, you, you, again, like, he, yeah, I agree. He's, he's the heavy favourite here. But... Yeah, it's it's just a tough first round for the team. Like that's not that's not what he you know that's not what he wanted. He you want a a match to help build momentum, especially after he lost in the first. I think he lost to Quan in in the first. Um, was it Quan? I think in the first qualifying round of Adelaide one. So yeah, it's not ideal for the team. He 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 beat um I think Deminor in in Puyong, which is something I guess. That's something. Not much, but it's something. Also catching my eye in that section is Jeremy Shardy, who's back with a protected ranking. Uh, Shardy, unranked, currently 35, uh, hasn't played much on tour, had knee surgery, uh, I believe, last year, and was coaching Ugo Ambert for a while. But now he's back in the draw himself. Uh, he opened against uh, Daniel Lahigalan in the first round, with Bagnes or Dan Evans in the second round in this Rublev you know, first week section. Uh, Nick Kyrgios, the focus of the first Netflix episode, is... In this next section of the draw, opening is Roman Sefulin, or then you get uh, the aforementioned Umber or Gasquet. Uh, and then uh, Maxime Cressy, Ramos Vignolas, Phil Krajinovic, and the seed, recent Paris Bercy Masters champion, Holger Vitas Nodskov Rune, uh, is here. I think this section, you know, because Kyrgios just didn't play any warm-up tournaments after playing this super heavy EXO schedule in the offseason and, you know, tweeting about how much money he was making from that. I like Rune pretty comfortably, actually, here. I don't know. I think Rune versus an Australian Kyrgios crowd would be very funny. Like, very, very funny, potentially, given his temperament. Yes. I, so I, I want to see that. I, 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 don't, I don't especially rate Nick's chances, given especially how well he's done with the last two slams, you know, making the Wimbledon final and, and uh, the quarters of the U.S. Open. Quarters, right? No, quarters. Yes, yeah, quarters. Also quarters to uh, to Hashinov. Yeah. So you're beating Medvedev in the fourth round. Okay, yeah. I I'm not high on Nick right now. You've seen him practice. You have, right? Yeah. I mean, he, he looked obviously though clearly physical question marks around him. He looked okay. He looked he looked like fine. He looked like he was moving normally, but obviously it's it's different in a match. You you don't know how over best of three sets with pressure and tension whether. That the injuries that that kept him out of the first week of of the season will come to the fore and, and affect him, and it's, it's he's also dealing with a more pressure, I think, than he felt he's felt in his career probably. Really, if you think about it, yeah, you know, that's the, true. Now, now he knows he's capable. He well, he can he knows what it's like to reach a semi-final. He believes well, he did get a walkover in the semis of Wimbledon, but he he knows he's. He's been there, and he believes he can be there again, and that's just a completely different level of pressure than before. And we saw that against Hichanov at, at the U.S. Open when, totally, yeah, it was just you know, he didn't choke or anything, but it just he couldn't bring out his best tennis when he needed it because he's no longer playing in the you know the, the free playing with house money mode. Yeah, I don't. I would say he didn't not choke. In that match against Hachinov, mm-hmm. like he was, a lot of people pick him to win the tournament, right? And they didn't deliver his best. Yeah, you know, and it was a new situation for him to be thinking. Actually, I can, and maybe even arguably should, yeah, be winning this tournament. And so, you know, that was a new situation for him that will serve him well in the future. 
you know, obviously he's got other stuff going on. The the court case against him, the charge as it stands, is still underway. It's still, I think, court dates, I believe, kind of in February about that. Yes. Uh, it's still unresolved, uh, as those we've heard. So we'll keep posted on that. And that's something that, you know, hangs over him for sure. He's also got the, that still hanging over him while still also having this Netflix very positive portrayal of him, which who knows how much attention that's going to get him from a wider public uh, in the first episode. So it's just a lot going on with, with Nicholas Hill Curios. Yes. Right now. Um, yeah. And, and with, with, I'm, I'm interested to, to see how Rune does just because, I mean, so, so far in his young career, he's really thrived on clay and indoors. Those have been his, his condition. Hmm. So I'm, I'm interested to see him bring it to Australian Open. But uh, In other words, he's thri- he thrived in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah, so, so, so th- I think this is an, an, another, you, you know, a, a different challenge for him. But yeah, uh, he was so impressive at the end of last year that he, yeah, he, he should be aiming high, and and that should that should be a match that happens, I'd, I'd say, and and it would be given the Tebbin room and given Rune's fearlessness and just uh, it's some yeah, it, it would be it's definitely a match to the circle. Definitely. All right, that is the first eighth of the bottom half. The next one uh, is anchored by nine-time champion Novak Djokovic, number four seed. Rare seeing him kind of like in the middle of a draw somewhere. You're so used to seeing him, you know, usually at the top line or sometimes the bottom line, but just kind of in the middle here, not really floating at number four, but feels like a, a meaningful sort of anonymization of, of Novak Djokovic here in the draw. Uh, I think this is a really comfortable draw for him uh, for the first week. Definitely opens against Roberto Carballes Baena. Uh, then open, then gets Hugo Delian, another protected ranking guy, or Enzo Quacode in the uh, second round. Uh, third round, probably against uh, Grigor Dimitrov or Aslan Karatsev. That's a fun first round, by the way, Dimitrov Karatsev. That's like fan favorite kind of thing. Uh, potentially Zuzu Berg's TikTok darling, or Laszlo Jere in the... Uh, uh, also could play Novak in the, in the third round. Fourth round, I want to pause on briefly because he could play P- Pablo Carreño Busta who has proven kind of a, a, a low-key torment for Djokovic um, in recent years. Obviously, Djokovic uh, got defaulted when he was playing Karina Busta in the fourth round of the U.S. Open in 2020, and then he lost the bronze medal match uh, to Karina Busta at the Tokyo Olympics. And so I, I pick Djokovic in every match he's going to play at this tournament. He's my pick to win this tournament. I think he's everybody's pick to win this tournament, probably, assuming his, his uh, hamstring issue was doesn't flare up again, which has been an issue this week. But Carreño, for some reason, has been someone who's proven a tough matchup for Novak, or just an aggravating matchup for Novak. I don't know exactly what to call it. Uh, in his career, like, that's not a ton of data, but it's so rare for someone to have any success against Novak on, on hard courts that it feels notable to, to circle that Carreño is there as the 14th seed in the, in the fourth round, potentially. Is that nothing? No, but just a reminder to just to anyone who forgot, Pablo Carreño puts as a Masters champion. Yeah, mm-hmm. Montreal. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 him for he can that's him for life, right? right? Had a lovely career, Pablo Carreño Busta. I mean, really, like bronze medal, two U.S. Open semis, Masters champ. Like he's someone who has done quietly, mostly yeah. pretty well for himself. He's made himself a career. Yeah, someone who's arguably not even a household name in tennis fans' houses has uh, has picked up a lot of hardware or a lot of achievements for himself. So, so good for him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Demon R, Alex Demon R is also in here uh, as a 22 seed. But let's talk about Novak. I mean, like Novak, so Novak is in this section. Then he would get the winner of the Rublev Runa section, potentially, and then we'll zoom out a little bit to, you know, Fritz and Brood, spoilers, are the high seeds, and Berrettini are the real seeds in the mix in this last quarter, which we'll get to separately more granularly. 
is Novak going to win his number 10 here? What's going to stop him? I, I mean, I, I think he's clearly the heavy favorite. He's just, His records, he's he's won, I think, six six titles since May. He's just rolled, rolled through the field mostly, aside from his, his, the only losses he took in regular tournaments, because I, I am not counting Labour Cup. To, to Nadal at the, no. the French Open and uh, Rune, you know, a fearless, you know, amazing performance from Rune in the uh, in the Paris Paris Masters final. And so, Which was a great match. Yeah, great, great match. match. And and aside from that, he's just been class of the field and you know, playing extremely well. So it, it's just been just interesting. Just it's been very. It's his his return after obviously everything that happened last year, getting deported. Yeah, it's just been kind of notable how unremarkable it has been. You know, he's here, he's playing. Obviously, he had like the exhibition, and he did you know one kind of candid interview with Channel Nine where he you know kind of you know, spoke about what happened to him and said that you know everyone was well. Yeah, he spoke about what happened to him. Let's let's say that. Um, but what did he say? Well, for people haven't seen that, what can you summarize what he said? Well, he, he he was he just kind of explained his perspective that he felt that at some point he became the villain of the world. I think is what he he used, and that the media yeah. that the media was kind of out out to get him, and um, that as just at, at at some point he as during the whole as, as things progressed, he just wanted to get go home and get out of there. And he said that it kind of it stayed. What happened in in Australia stayed with him for a while, and I mean that was clear on the court when he. Losing to Jerry yeah. Vesley in 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 Dubai, <laughs> um, um, and yeah, that it took a while for him to like re- recover, I guess, like on the court and, and to play how he normally plays. But it's clear that he is playing how he normally plays now, and and he's at the he's back at the place where he's had the most success in his career by far, chasing a tenth Australian Open title. That's crazy. Yep, chasing twenty-two, also chasing a tying at all. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, he, he to me, he's the clear favorite. Obviously, he, he had a, a let's say ham, hamstring com- issue in in Adelaide um, in the in the semi-final against yeah. Medvedev, which Medvedev was amused by. Let's let's say mocked, well. he mocked it. There was mockery. Yeah, yeah. But he, he recovered and, and won the tournament, saving the championship point against Porter. And yeah, he's just yeah, he's better than everyone as a player right now. And that's that's been. Yeah professional men's tennis for a while and it's, it still is remarkably so yeah to me he, he's the favorite and nothing in the week since he's come back suggests that something would throw him off you know the crap during that exhibition it was it was actually a good idea for to have the exhibition for him and um, because i don't know he, he he was he was able to go into a packed rod labor arena and they, they were fine with you know they cheered him on i'm sure he i'm i'm, I'm pretty certain he was quite nervous about the reception he'd get and wasn't sure how people would receive him so that's yeah. any concern about that is gone now and he, he'll, he'll just focus on playing and very well likely competing in the latter latter stages for this tournament the pandemic has been so preoccupying and exhausting and draining and tragic like i just don't sense that people have much stamina to like keep pandemic grudges yes I, much yes i think people are ready to move on like whatever happened last year happened and i, I obviously brought up i'm sure there are some people probably who still resent him but like also in tennis people just don't go to to boo like, it's just like fundamentally not something people do in tennis i was thinking this even it'd be more interesting and more of a live topic if he had wound up playing last year's i'll show you because it was potentially could have won his appeal 
people, you know, people who who don't support Djokovic are very unlikely to go to the to seek out his matches to boo him, right? They might, if they have tickets to that session, happens to play, maybe they'll cheer for opponents a little bit, or you know, could see his opponents getting more support than average. Although he doesn't have any opponents in this in this tournament, uh, maybe until Carreno, who I give it much of a shot. You know, if he plays Demonar maybe in the in the fourth round potentially, but I don't think Demonar can match him on court really. Bigger concern for Djokovic, I think, is the physical side. Yeah. You know, this hamstring issue has has niggled at him uh, from Adelaide. He cut short of practice against Dylan Medvedev also in Melbourne uh, because of that issue. Novak Djokovic is turning 36 this year, right? And so much of Djokovic's success is predicated on his durability, on his flexibility, on his just being an unreal athlete. So if that gets, and that won't last forever, obviously. So as that starts to deteriorate a bit for him, obviously gradually you assume, but maybe there could be some injury, who knows? Like, you know, that's going to be the challenge for him for the rest of his career, basically. It's maintaining that kind of physicality and finding ways to potentially win when not at his physically best, which we saw him do in the Australian Open in 2021, right? When he had that back injury and, and played through it, or Abbott, whatever it was, yeah, the injury yeah. he had. Uh, yeah, and in 2021, pushed through that. So, yeah, I think Djokovic is the guy. I, I, I don't expect the, you know, I think with the fans, I, I think, first of all, he'll have a ton of his loyal fans who will show up in, even if it's triple-digit numbers of people, you know, like a couple hundred people, will make so much noise for him. This is how it often is with Djokovic is on, like, TV. They sound more even on TV and they actually are in the crowd because the people who are there for him are so outsized, loud and supportive and loyal for him. Uh, I think that'll be the case probably. And, you know, he doesn't give people any reason to, if he starts, you know, throwing rackets or tantrums or whatever, like maybe people will, will turn on him. But I think he's going to probably be on, on pretty good behavior. I would, I would imagine. Although he was on edge in that, in that Adelaide final and, you know, yelling at his box and ejecting people and whatnot. But I, I think it'll be kind of a non-event and I do expect yeah. him to win number 10 here. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, if, if something does fall apart for him, it'll be, pretty easy to autopsy why if it's on sort of a stress kind of thing which can include physical you know stress mental stress can bear out in terms of physical injuries with something like a hamstring that's totally something that happens in the sport physically um so that's Novak Djokovic I'll be interested to see how he how he goes the bottom quarter of the draw let's start with the top part of the bottom quarter Taylor Harry Fritz is here Taylor Harry opens against Nicholas Bazlashvili then could get Paparin or Seng, Jason Seng of Taiwan. Uh, and then in the third round, could get one of the players I'm most excited to see this year, Ben Shelton, who won three challengers to wrap up last year to earn a, a direct spot into the Australian Open. Surging very quickly, a two-time NCAA champion for the University of Florida, where his father, Brian Shelton, who is also a tour player, uh, was is the coach. Uh, ben Shelton had never left the U.S. before uh, this month, Crazy. where he went to play Auckland and yeah, it just shows you, you can do I me. Mean, obviously, there's enough tournaments in the U.S. It's like people are like, "Wow, that's crazy!" But also, like, I'm sure there's lots of like, European players who never yeah. left Europe. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I guess yeah, but still, like, it's one country. It's, it's a big for, to, be, to be top to be top hundred to be top hundred yeah. before leaving the U.S. Is, a, is an accomplishment, especially having not played even a full like he didn't play in New Orleans in Miami or anything like that. So like, he's he's really rising fast. He's described a lot of the same ways that you described Draper. Honestly, apply to Ben Shelton. He's yeah. a big, strong lefty, uh, big serve, very athletic looking guy um a lot of high hopes from very very nice very well beloved really in terms of people who work in the challengers really have a lot of nice things to have ben shelton a lot of very real hopes for him and i think this draw for him is really good i mean he won a match uh he lost his first match in adelaide one and then won a that around in auckland um but then he's opens against another one of these chinese guys uh the third chinese guy in the draw. i think we've mentioned all three uh zhang Zhen. he opens against him and then he get mimir kikmanovich in the second round, potentially, Kekmanovic, who will recall, was in that 
Djokovic match that was like the TBA for a long time yeah. in the, with the deportation. Anyway, then Shelton could play Fritz. I we'll see how it goes. I'm just saying the Shelton stock I would absolutely buy right now. I don't know how quickly they'll pay off. They can beat a Kikmanovic. I don't think it's unbeatable for him. I mean, I mean Shelton did beat Casper Ruud in Cincinnati. He does have one big name win to his belt already. Uh, and then Taylor Fritz. Not sure where he goes from there. One to look out for. Uh, Taylor Fritz, looking the rest of the draw, had a very easy win at the United Cup over the number 12 seed uh, in this tournament, Alexander Zverev, who came back uh, from his injury, uh, his ankle injury that took him out for the rest of the 2022 season, of the main season anyway, he played some EXOs, and uh, Fritz routined him. Zverev had some some very bad serving and double faults and stuff, some which people have seen for him before, but it's going to be potentially a long road back for Zverev to get back to where he was. Obviously, team exists a cautionary tale. Who knows? I mean, his draw is his first round is really good. Opens against uh, Varias, who is the lucky loser. Although Varias is the one who nearly beat uh, Felix Ojeda Asim at the French Open last year in the first mm, round, yeah. which I thought Netflix would make more of. Actually, they didn't really show that match too much. Anyway, Zverev then could get uh, locally or David Goffin, and then Schwartzman. Schwartzman beat uh, uh, Zverev at the 2019 U.S. Open uh, in a bit of an upset there. Speaking of Zverev, obviously, you should mention that the ATP investigation remains unresolved yeah. and unupdated, and that they had six whole months of this guy being off tour and did nothing to resolve this or nothing to update it is pathetic. Yeah. And, like, what are you doing? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Cosigned. Okay. Uh, I think it's a good draw for Fritz. I think Fritz is a draw winner here to the point where, like, when I'm mentioning. Uh, Shelton is one of the names to watch in this section. With due respect to Shelton, I think it's a good draw for Fritz. Schwartzman is at 23, hasn't been playing very well lately. Yeah, he, he was in, uh, he was in also in, in one of his earlier matches. Yeah, he pulled out of he pulled out of a match in uh in Auckland, I think. And yeah, Zverev obviously on the log comeback road. Zverev could like potentially, you know, I mean, Goffin actually, I think, has been playing okay. Goffin's had a, a surgeon kind of stretch here. Um, played pretty well in, in Perth, where he was for United Cup. Yeah. Uh, I could see Goffin beating Zverev or Varias and then getting through a fourth round here. And that's pretty likely, actually. Or JJ Wolf actually has been st- steadily climbing. And Jordan Thompson, not above, you know, taking advantage of an open section here. So open section, but pretty cruisy for Fritz, I would think, which take him into a potential quarterfinal against, uh, if it helps to see Casper Ruud, number two seed in his bottom line of the draw, recent US Open and French Open finalist. He went against Thomas Mahach. Who is uh, the uh, who rolled his ankle in United Cup match uh, and pulled out of that event? But it's back and hopefully healthy enough to play against Rude. Uh, Rude could get Jensen Brooksby, uh, who inspired all sorts of debate over neck cords during his Auckland uh, win there over Fanini. Uh, and then you said it earlier in the show, Tony. But can you say out loud the way you say to me the name of the other American in this section? <laughs> I was trying to describe it on the. I was doing a show predicting the Americans with, with Alice Gruskin friend of the show and i was trying to imitate the way you say this person's name and i couldn't quite do it you you mean tommy paul tommy paul yeah you should do more exaggerated than that. tommy paul it's it's hard it, but it's i don't know that that's to me that's the most i don't know it just feels quintessentially american name the, the man with two first it years. is yeah um tommy paul um who yeah, who i was actually surprised i, I guess he, he didn't defend his stockholm title last year so dropped a bit in the rankings i was surprised he wasn't a seed um, you know when yeah. came out, yeah, he, he's. I mean, he's playing well in in, gen, in general terms. Like he's in a good point of his career. So we mentioned him as having one of the people who beat Rafa, you know, last year yeah, in yeah, Paris yeah. Bercy. Like he's, yeah, he's ranked. He's ranked thirty five, so narrowly missing out on the yeah. seedings. And, and, and it's actually interesting for 
just for Rude, given that after being like the man known as the, the player who who performed in ATP 250s, and you know that that was how he built his initial ranking. Now it's gone the complete opposite direction. Where, he traded spots with traded spots with Felix. Yeah, where he's he two slam finals, but just he just lost early in in Auckland, and clearly from from what he's performed, how he's performed at slams, he should come into this tournament with high hopes and and you know a positive you know frame of mind. But he faces, I think, Tommy Paul, David Fakina. I don't know even Bublik. If they were to face him, I think they they should face him, f- believing that they can beat the second seed. No, that's a low, low key tough section. I mean, Brooksby even too. Brooksby is yeah. such a dangerous kind of and guy. He's like, been, and Brooks- Brooksby didn't get to play Australia last year. I believe he had COVID. And and Brooksby has um, been playing better. You know, his his forms improved recently. Um, yeah. And then there's the the section above, which has one of one of at least in this part of the world one of the marquee matches with um, Matteo Berrettini, 13th seed. Star of Netflix against Andy Murray. Yeah, is, is that of in, in, interest to you, or is, is that? I'm curious, yeah, I'm curious how the no, that's 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 one where the name recognition I think yeah. actually matches a little bit better the the value uh, compared to team. Just again, because team, I'm, I'm not ready to, to to promote team as someone to to really keep an eye on just yet. I hope he gets there again. Um, the game is better for it. But yeah, Murray Bertini they put a really good match in that Stuttgart final yeah. on grass last yeah. year. And had a, a good match. Had a tough, lost that. They had a tough four set match at the US Open as well, which Berrettini won. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Murray, you know, is got to be frustrated. He's hit a little bit of a ceiling here in the rankings. You know, he hasn't been able to break through to be a seated at a Grand Slam again, which he would, I'm sure, love. And he's put in the work. And Berrettini, you know, he made semifinals last year, as you'll learn on Netflix if you watch his episode. As he, has, he is the Australian episode, Australian Open episode that's really more about the singles tournament. After the Curious episode goes on a doubles uh, uh, ride instead. Um, so, you know, points to defend here for Mateo, who doesn't have many points to his name, actually, because well, he has the grass court back-to-back titles. But other than that, he was out a lot of last year. So um, important match for, for Mateo also. And, yeah, that should be a good one. And the winner of that could get Kokonakis, potentially, or Fanini. Kokonakis uh, plays well in Australia. You know, not a gimme second round. It hasn't won too many of those matches like that. A couple, but not too many. Uh, then Batista Gut in there as well. Uh, and that's pretty much the men's draw. I, you know, I think actually I like this quarter, zooming out a little bit for Fritz. I think Fritz is very well positioned in this quarter. He had a, he played well and solidly in, in the United Cup, didn't win all his matches, but played well and just seemed very composed. I think this, this quarter set up really dreamily for Fritz, actually. I think that he should yeah. think he can make his first ever slam semifinal, which he hasn't done yet. Yeah. I think he can think it's in the cards. Yeah, I agree. I think he's, he's definitely the, I think the favorite in the section. Interesting to see if, um, again, with Berrettini, um, if he can, you know, he, he's, he's a player who tends to perform well in slams and, you know, he just knows how to go through them. Even It seems that, yeah, he seems to perform even better under that slam pressure than in, in other events. Last year, semi-finalist, um, I believe, uh, against Rafa. Netflix, come on, it's in Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you watch the Netflix brain, brain, show, brain, Breakpoint, brain starring Matteo Berrettini? Well, yes, last year's semi-finals. He, yeah, he knows how to play in slam. So, yeah, it's, it's, I like that. Actually, I agree, it's a section for Fritz, but some interesting, it could be, that could be an interesting, like, potential match between them. If Fritz goes down, it's very open. I'll say that also. Yeah. Um, and even in that's maybe just kind of Casper, but Casper obviously had a slow start to the year and has yeah. 
um, slams only Casper Ruud. I mean, who knows? I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe. I wouldn't be surprised by Ruud making semis. Yeah. But I also wouldn't be surprised by Ruud losing to Brooksby or to Tommy Paul or to Davidovich or to Bublik or to Berrettini or to Batista Agut. So that's how I feel about that. That's why they, that's why they play it. That's why they play that's why they play. And we're looking forward to them playing starting in a couple days. Tumani, any other sort of stuff you're looking forward to or that other thoughts on the tournament before we let you go? I meant to say this, and I'm just I, some late sort of shade <laughs> throw. I meant to say this in the Djokovic section. It's so wild to me that Craig Tiley still has this job after everything that happened last no. year. That is so crazy and so against all the laws of logical physics that happen in these sort of crisis events. Like that Craig Tiley stayed on and is still making these these bizarre plays at this tournament i i you know i i i think it's wild i think it's shocking yeah and and it, i guess it just surprised not surprises me but the fact that Djokovic doesn't isn't more frustrated with how tennis australia handled it how you know he, he they set him up yeah he, he, he his, part of what you know the interview i was talking about was he, he was saying that he he had all his papers together. He was was you know he had everything he needed, and when he came there, but clearly one of the one of the main issues is that Tennis Australia didn't didn't provide him with context, didn't you know make him aware of how full things were, how things could turn out. They they you know said it's a done deal, come come along, and and this is how it ended up. And and I agree, yeah. After all that happened with Craig Tidy last year, that like there's been <laughs> at the end of the day, the world number one got deported on 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 your watch. Nine-time champ, world number one, yeah. deported after being detained at a migrant detention center for days. Yeah. Like how you don't just like take the fall for that any real way yeah. is 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 shocking just to any, me, any, really. And, and uh, yeah, and, and I don't, and I'm not you know I'm not just here to just say people should lose their jobs or whatever, but there should be some sort of repercussions for or some yes. reaction to what happened. Or apology, yeah. at least. I don't think he like apologized publicly to Novak, and I don't think Novak, Novak and him are obviously friendly. And and Craig Tiley famously like is all about you know Stars. buttering up and yeah. sucking up to players and and doing it bending over backwards for them and losing this tournament tons of money by by you know doing all the crazy accommodations for players and stuff. And yeah, I think I just think that he deserves a lot more scrutiny yeah. and stuff from especially Australian media. I'll say that I've that then I have seen. Like I just think that like what he does down there, he kind of operates like he's on an island, and it does some crazy stuff on this island, including just some bizarre stuff. Like why is this tournament selling NFTs? Yeah. Just stop. It's desperate. It's thirsty. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. Anyway, we're gonna stop the show now yeah. on that positive note. Uh, thank you very much, Chimani, for for being on here. Uh, hopefully we'll hear from you again during or after the tournament. I hope. Yep. Yeah, sure. Uh, on here and uh, follow your coverage at the Guardian. And on Twitter, hopefully you do lots of great tweets. Sometimes you tweet, sometimes you don't. I had I had a bit of a, a break from Twitter, like a complete break, particularly while I was on, on my, you know, sub-Saharan African mission in, in Gambia. But yeah. yeah, I'll be back tweeting, so look out for me there. We'd love to see it. And with that, this two-hour show wraps up. <laughs> Bye, folks. <laughs>